Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. After a successful 2021 season, it just ended a little over a week ago, we have determined that we have a philosophical difference in the direction that our Major League Club is going. We feel like at this time that it is best for us to end our partnership with Mike Schill. So I, noti- I notified him earlier today that um, he has been dismissed of his duties. Good morning. It's Dan McLaughlin and Michelle Smallman here with you on 101 ESPN. As you just heard, the voice of John Mozeliak announcing yesterday and what a lot of people are describing as a shocking announcement, Dan, that the Cardinals have indeed fired manager Mike Schilt. And I don't know about you. I'm sure a lot of people have been digesting this over the past uh, several hours since the news broke yesterday afternoon. But when I first got this bit of information, I was I was driving. I got a text that popped up on my phone that said there was going to be a John Mosaic press conference. I wondered what it was about. And I turned on 101 ESPN to hear what it could be. And frankly, I was a little stunned by this news. Mike, Mike Schiltz making the postseason and every year that he was the Cardinals manager seemingly during the 17 game win streak so many players coming out and praising Mike Schilt and and the coaching staff for their demeanor and helping them stay steady throughout this season so the timing of this especially with an elimination game in the postseason the Cardinals getting special permission from baseball to make this move and make this announcement it it was just a lot to unpack there was uh I'm with you I'm surprised um had heard some things, you know, that you, you hear rumblings in the towards the end of the season. I heard some rumblings within the last week that maybe there was some uh, frustration on both sides. But I, where I'm surprised, I never thought it would get to this point. So, uh, you know this, Michelle, and I think a lot of listeners probably know this. I'm very close to Mike Schilt. And so I've known him since he came to the Cardinals. I guess it was in 2003 when Mo hired him way back when. I spoke over the phone with Mike yesterday. We had a nice conversation basically right after the uh, the Mo press conference. And I can tell you, he was stunned. He was stunned with the decision. Um, he was very emotional about it. He was not expecting this. You know, he was expecting to be the manager of the Cardinals next year and beyond. So let's get that out of the way. He was not expecting this. This is something that really shocked him. And I think it shocked him because he had won. You know, he had gone to three straight postseasons. He almost got him into the postseason when Mike Matheny was fired. And you've had continuity in that seat. Tony LaRusso was there for 16 years. Mike Matheny, roughly six and a half. And Schultz's winning percentage was 559. Mm -hmm. That winning percentage is better than LaRusso 
Whitey Herzog, Red Chaindienst, Joe Torre. So he had done a very good job. Now, we're going to hear a lot of clips, and the clips are going to say there was philosophical differences uh, between Mike, Moe, the organization, whatever the case may be. And when I hear that, I just think there's philosophical differences in every walk of life. You know, you and I can have differences, Emily, whatever. I mean, anything that we talk about, there's going to be philosophical differences in how you approach a situation. So I think that's a way of just trying to take the high road and that there was a, a bump in the road. They were going to come head to head on some certain issues, obviously did, didn't agree and moved on. So I, I think the key thing that I heard from John Mosaloc was the quote, we felt like the leadership downstairs needed to be on the same page. And that, to me, was the money quote. Mm -hmm. That, to me, tells me that they were going in this particular direction. Mike was thinking something else, maybe voiced that, obviously did. And uh, and when you have that, you go head to head, and it doesn't make a lot of sense then if they felt that uh, he's not the right guy to lead them. Now, this we would not be having this conversation if they had lost and he is a uh, record wise losing games if there were crazy in-game decisions and I don't look you can sit there and look at the Reyes thing and I've had people say is this about the no this has nothing to do with pitching Alex Reyes in the playoffs um if he had issues with the media you know maybe there was consternation constantly with the media and that wasn't uh the problem so the questions that I would have would be, were there players that had discontent with him? Probably. I mean, there, I think if you talk to Dave Roberts mm-hmm. and he's going to the NLCS and they, he said, are, are there players that are upset with me? Probably. You know, yeah. that stuff happens. It's rare that any boss is going to get 100% approval rating. That's right. Um, I think the Jeff Albert thing is probably something that we'll dive into even more. My guess will be that Mike Schilt will talk over the weekend. I don't know this for sure. I didn't ask him if he was going to do this. He will talk at some point. I mean, you're going to run into him. He's going to get a different job or whatever, or he wants to address some things and get it out there. But I got to wonder if there was some, you know, uh, if they came head to head on when the team was uh, having issues offensively and, did he want to make a move? Did Mo want to make a move? Did there, you know, did they disagree on that situation? I think that's something that would be asked. Um, and then the direction of how to move forward with the franchise. It's an analytically based franchise. Mike Schilt is a baseball lifer, but knows analytics, mixes them in, and does them both. I've had great conversations about moves that I scratch my head with, and he, he'll go down the analytic road and said, "This is why I did it." So. Do you go 100% that way? Is there a mix? Is there, I think that's the rub on some of this stuff on where they're going. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing, I think, with this too is that he's a George Kissel disciple. Yes. And one of the things that Mike would always talk about that George had in his book that he had from his son, Dr. Kissel, that was given to Mike Schilt and a few others are you an organizational man? And meaning that, okay, sometimes I'm going to do things that I don't agree with, but I'm an organizational man, so I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. And um, this was the interesting part of one of the the pieces in the book. It said, you better change something. George wrote this because you you better make it better than it is. And so I kind of read into that and say the game is always changing. The game has changed more in the last five years than it has in 50 So you got to move along with the times. And I'm not saying that Mike didn't, because I think he did. But they obviously were going in a direction that they wanted to go. 
and maybe Mike wasn't 100% on, on board with some of those things, which I just discussed. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, Mo says, hey, we're going we're gonna to move on. We're going to go in a different direction. That's the way I look at it. But you kept he- hearing philosophical differences, and it wasn't win-loss. It wasn't, well, he had a he had an issue with Yadier Molina that we know of, or Adam Wainwright, or Harrison Bader, pick any player. It was none of that. So that's where you're left in the gray area as we wake up this morning as a fan and trying to figure out why this decision was made. And that's, you hit on the George Kissel, Kissel thing, and that's, I guess, another reason why this was so stunning to me. Even if there were philosophical differences, this was a Mo appointment. Mo chose Mike Schilt as the Cardinals manager. He's been in the organization for a long time. He came, 18 years. 18 years. He came up through the ranks to earn this position. As you mentioned, he's a George Kissel disciple. He holds this organization in such high reverence. He described it as his dream job. And it's not as if he did not have success here. So I don't know. I guess I would think knowing the way the Cardinals organization is and how much of a leash that they have given certain people in the past that you would think that this might be something that they would want to try to work through given Mike Schultz's connection to the organization. The fact that John Mozeliak did handpick him to be this guy, but the money quote that you said, mine was similar. It was when Mr. DeWitt said, this is based on differences between Mo and his group and the manager. Yeah. And essentially what I'm reading between the lines is if you're not going to get on board with what John Mozeliak is wanting to do and the direction that he wants to position this organization in moving forward, if there's dissension in the ranks, he can't have that. He wants everyone to, to be autonomous. There you go. I think you hit it. And I know we're going to hear from John Mozeliak some more here and, and Bill DeWitt, but that's what makes it, I think, really hard for all of us to, to understand is that there wasn't one thing, and I don't believe anything's coming out, not that I've heard, that you would say, oh, well, that's why they did it. Okay, now it makes sense. I mean, he won, got into postseason play, and did it with a roster that at one point was four-fifths, your starting rotation is out. Right. So this is not about in-game decisions. You know, I, I've talked to Mo about that. Um, I mean, I think they believed he was a, a heck of a manager. So this is, you know, about where your organization, where they believe it's going and where they want it to be and everybody on the same page. And apparently that wasn't the case. The thing that makes this a head scratcher for me, Dan, is the timing of this. For the Cardinals to have to seek permission from Major League Baseball to hold a press conference and make this announcement because of a postseason game. A postseason elimination game. It was a game. called press conference, it was too, a hastily, very quick. I, I was in an appointment, as I mentioned, and got the text, and it, it was a 10-minute turnaround almost. And I'm just wondering why the sense of urgency. It doesn't, and, and Mo, we're going to hear from him throughout the show, talked about how these philosophical differences basically came to a head recently, really over the past five or six days. And to me, if, if I'm just an observer, and we've gone through a lot of the details here, but if I'm not a Cardinals fan and I'm not within the the St. Louis bubble here. I'm just a, a sports fan that gets this announcement, and I see that the Cardinals have to go to such lengths to make this move so immediately. I'm thinking, did something happen? Is there is there something bigger at play? And it doesn't seem like that's the case. There were organizational meetings last week, um, and so maybe something came out of that that they didn't like, and maybe they thought, you know what, we need to rethink about what we're doing here going forward. Maybe. And again, I, I want people to understand, I don't have inside knowledge of this. I mean, I listened to the press conference with mm-hmm. Mo and, and DeWitt, and I did talk to Mike Shield uh, privately, but that was more of, of the friend-to-friend conversation, not so much about the nuts and bolts as to why this happened. Um, and I didn't think it was the appropriate time to do it. He's my friend, and I'm there to try to talk to him and 
hear what he had to say if he wanted to talk, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was an emotional time for he and his family, I can tell you that. But um, so that's one of the things coming out of those meetings. Something happened that there was a there was a rub there that rubbed people the wrong way. I think the other thing, too, is that there are job openings out there and they realize that Mike is good and his reputation in the game is a guy that's a pretty good manager. And maybe let's do him a solid if we're going to sleep on this and sit on this and we wait two weeks and then we say, oh, we're going to let him go. And then all of a sudden the Padres job is filled up Mm -hmm. and you don't know about the Yankee job. It looks like Aaron Boone's coming back, but there's going to be some openings and you say, well, we kind of left him on the outside looking in. We didn't do him a solid, even though. I say solid by letting him go, but having him have the opportunity to interview with other teams. And I I do think that may have been part of the process, too. Interesting. Could be wrong, but we'll see. That's Dan McLaughlin. I'm Michelle Smallman. Again, we're going to talk about this all morning long. In case you haven't heard the news, the Cardinals yesterday announcing that they are parting ways with manager Mike Schultz. And we want to hear from you. Text line, Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. And please send your mic drops to the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. Well, Dan, today was supposed to be a big celebration for the Blues because (laughs) they opened their season tomorrow. Tomorrow night versus the Avalanche with pregame here on 101 ESPN starting at 7 p.m. And we are going to talk to Joy Vitale, who will be on the call tomorrow. He's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Dan McLaughlin and Michelle Smallman here with you on 101 ESPN. The Blues open their season tomorrow night versus the Avalanche with pregame starting at 7 p.m. here on 101 ESPN. Let's head right now to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, and we'll talk to Blues color analyst Joey Vitale, who, of course, is going to be in-house and calling the game tomorrow. Good morning, Joey. How are you? Hey, Michelle, good morning. I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for asking. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. It must be nice. I mean, I'm sure it's not great leaving your family, but to be able to pack up and head out on the road and know that you're going to have a normal season. Yeah, yeah, normal-ish for sure. You know, the one hiccup I think has been that, you know, we're not sure what, how much access we're going to have with, with players on game days. So a lot, lot's still up in the year. I mean, we're still working through this thing. I think last year was a tough year. I think this is, to me, what, what seems to be a bit of a buffer year. We're going to kind of find ourselves in between a lot and, you know, what, what's the protocol, what's not. But I tell you what, just being back on the road, and uh, the, we had a little taste of it during the preseason, just being amongst the players and kind of getting some tidbits and, you know, hearing from them and how their off-seasons are going. I mean, anything I'll tell you. I mean, it just it helps so much with the broadcast. It, it makes it just a cleaner finish and a cleaner product. And then and I think more enjoyable, more entertaining, ultimately, for the fans who are listening. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's always about the players. The players are the product, and uh, and that's what it's about. So trying to find out more about the players, more about the insight of what's going on with the team is is so important. And a lot of that is done in a coffee shop, on a plane ride, on a bus ride, in the team hotel. And that's the access that you're going to be allowed to have now. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, uh, it's funny. I I, I still go in the locker rooms here and there, but you know, it's, you know, players to me, they, they get a little tight. They get a little tight when, when the room's open to the, you know, the general media and everything like that. And, and, and I get my best stuff when I'm on the plane going back and getting an appetizer or I'm, you know, breaking some bread in the back and guys are just chit chatting or I on the way to the bathroom in the back of the plane and a player says, Hey, sit down. And we, we just chat. I mean, Steiner was great about that. Hey, hey, JV, sit down. We would just, we would just mull over things and I'm not interrogating the guys. We're just having a conversation. We're just talking life. We're talking hockey. We're talking family. And, and it's good to get that perspective. Um, you know, but you're right. Going to the coffee houses, you know, you're coming in and someone making fun of the shirt you're wearing and that sparks another conversation about who's got the best style. I mean, it's just it's just the little daily conversations you have 
with these players and these coaches that that you find a, you find a, a great way to to kind of put into the broadcast, um, which is which is to me is what, what it's all about. And Joey, in that same vein, we spoke to David Perron yesterday, who talked to us about the Blues bonding trip in Vail, and he was talking about how great it was to be around his teammates. They went shopping, they were buying cowboy hats and belts with big buckles, having a couple beverages, and he was talking about James Neal really getting to show his personality and connect with his teammates. But I thought the important thing that I took from that conversation, Joey, was the way that David Perron described Vladdy. He was saying how nice it was to see Vladdy kind of relax and hang out with his teammates, and I really think that bonding trip, especially right before the season could pay a lot of dividends early on. Yeah, I mean, listen, the, the these team building trips are fantastic. Uh, I think one of my favorite ones was when we went to West Point. I think my third or fourth year in Pittsburgh, we went out to the university there, and you know, just meeting all these generals and lieutenants and, and seeing seeing the way these kids and these uh, boys and girls, you know, groom into these soldiers. That that was that was enough in itself. But then, you know, the team building and we you know, we climb mountains. We're bringing these boulders up these mountains. Just getting out of the, getting away from the ring, getting out of your comfort zone. You know, that that to me is what it's all about because you learn so much about yourself and each other when you're doing things kind of outside the norm, right? I mean, you look at some of the things the Blues have done because, you know, Vail hasn't been the best weather for them, but they're making the best of it. I mean, you mentioned a couple things in there. Another thing they've done is play fly fish. I uh, saw a great shot of Tyler Bozak hold, holding up a rainbow trout the other day. So, you know, just, just things like that, you know, it's, it's kind of like for people, if you ever... You know, you and your wife, you got your, you and your husband, you and your boyfriend, you guys all have like your favorite date spots, right? Let's go back to the spot. Let's go, oh, I love this spot. Oh, I love the chef. I know what I'm going to get. But every now and then they say to kind of switch it up and maybe do a hobby you've never done before. And it's amazing what that can do for the relationship because, you know, ultimately you, you are kind of stepping outside your comfort zone and you're kind of peeling away something about yourself or about maybe your spouse, or your boyfriend that you didn't know. And it's the same thing for these players, right? I mean, they're, they're going out and they're doing things that uh, they've never done with them before and you're, and you're learning more about them and ultimately building relationships. And, you know, Michelle, you, you talked about James Neal. I, I played with James for three years in Pittsburgh and he, he's just a character, man. I mean, his personality alone should get him somewhere on an NHL team. And now, unfortunately, that's not the way it works. But, you know, because, you know, with how he played in the preseason, he deserved every every ounce of what he's going to get. And I truly believe he's still an elite goal scorer in this league and he's going to get streaky. He can get hot in a hurry. But from a personality standpoint, I mean, yeah, he's he's top of the line. I mean, there's not a guy that would make fun of my outfits more, more than James Neal. I just got called up. My first call up, I think, and – I show up in the lobby. We're all going to team dinner, and I literally came from the minors. I'm wearing Sperry boat shoes with, like, I don't know, like Levi jeans. It, it was a mess. It was straight from South County. And then here I am, you know, with all these, you know, Prada shoes and all these guys with the Gucci loafers, and, and James just looked me up and down, and, and I just knew I knew it was coming, and he just tore me to shreds for about the next three to four weeks until I got some new shoes. But also at the same time, James, James would he'd break you down, but then he'd be he'd be the quickest guy to build you back up, you know. And then I remember I remember I was using these Reebok sticks from the minors, and and I was kind of establishing myself in the NHL. And and I never forget it was James who the Eastern rep was there. And you know when you're a new guy, I'm not sure I was in baseball, but when you're a new guy in hockey, you just you just play with whatever they give you. You just kind of shut your mouth. You just play with. If the pants are too big, suck it up. If the helmet's too tight, screw, who, who cares? Just play, right? And I was using these these just terrible Reebok sticks from the minors and. The Eastern rep was there, and I was kind of like, you know, peeking my head in the door, and looking at all these awesome sticks. God, I would love to have an Eastern one day, but I didn't want to ask the trainer. And James kind of dragged the Eastern rep out. He goes, hey, he goes, he goes, I think his name was Shelby. Shelby, come here, come here, come here. 
please, for God's sakes, get this guy some sticks. His sticks are driving me absolutely crazy. And uh, and then he did. And, of course, I didn't have to ask. So that's, that's James for you. He, he'll break you down, but he'll build you back up. So to me, uh, what a great addition the St. Louis Blues have with him. Who are you looking forward to watching? And tell our fans who they should be excited about going into the season. Yeah, I'm really excited about the new toys. I mean, like it's Christmas, Dan. You know how it is. Like, yeah, I got my old toys. I got I got the things I've had for five or six years. I'm, I'm still going to play with those, right? I'm, I'm a kid at heart. But I'm excited what Santa's going to bring me this year. And this year, I think it's going to be Jake Neighbors. You know, he he's the new 19-year-old first-rounder that made the team out of camp. I think he surprised a lot of people coming to camp. You know, uh, for a young 19-year-old, you expected way more rawness, way more greenness, but it just was not there. He, he just settled in so great in the camp. And I think you go back to last year when he skated with this team in December and January during the pandemic, I think that really helped him. I mean, living with Braden Shen, that really helped him. You know, kind of living with Braden, Braden took him under his wing, how to live like a pro, how to treat your body, how to when to work out, how to work out, you know, and what we do on Friday nights. We don't just play video games all day long. Let's go out. Let's go ha- let's go mingle with the guys, you know, and you'll see the town. Like, things like that. I mean, Jake Neighbors has really got comfortable over the last year or so with Braden Shen, this entire team, which I think really explains why he came in here and looked like a veteran um, from day one of camp. Uh, will he continue that? I think that's what we're going to have to find out. I mean, he has nine games before Doug Armstrong needs to make a decision on whether to keep him or send him back to junior before he burns up a year of his eligibility. But now, now you know, as they say, uh, the, the life fire starts, starts to go. I mean, Colorado is going to, it's going to punch him in the nose in a hurry. I mean, we're not playing the Chicago Blackhawks. We're not playing half of their minor league team anymore. I mean, we're playing up against some big boys. He's going to be going in corners against the Kale McCars and the Gerards. He's going to get smash mouth in the corner, you know, with the Ransons and the big bodies that Colorado has. So I think there's going to be a constant evaluation, but uh, it's been a wonderful start for him. He's a fast kid. He's a big kid. He's really strong on the puck. And for a 19-year-old, you just don't see that. So that, to me, is the, probably the, the player I'm most excited about watching. Blues color analyst Joey Vitale here on 101 ESPN. You can hear Joey on the call tomorrow as the Blues take on the Avalanche with pregame starting at 7 p.m. right here on 101 ESPN. Joey, thanks for taking the time to pop on with us a little early this morning. Safe travels, and we'll be listening tomorrow night. Hey, thanks, Michelle. It's always great. Uh, you always start off my Friday. Great talking to you guys. And, uh, hey, don't, don't be afraid to let your love light shine today, you too. Oh, okay. Thanks, Joey. Good advice. Wow. wow. Have, have a great day. <laughs> My goodness. How about that, Dan? I'm not sure where that came from, but yeah, uh, I know that's Joey, Joey. I know Joey has to go because he has to head to the airport to go to Colorado, but okay. could have, maybe next time we'll get a little expansion on that. Let your uh, love light shine. I Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not really sure what it meant, but I'm good with it, I guess. It's Joey. It is. It's you Joey. Know? Oh, man. Well, you can join 101 ESPN today. We're going to be having a blue season preview party at Copper Fire in Belleville, Illinois. The Blues are kicking off the regular season tomorrow. As we mentioned, Joey and Chris Kerber on the call. Alex Ferrario with pregame at 7 p.m. And to celebrate, we're going to host a day-long live broadcast at Copper Fire today. BK and Ferrario are, are there from 11 to 2. The Fast Lane is there from 2 to 6. And then a live last-minute Blues podcast with Jamie Rivers, Donnie Fandango, and Jeff Burton from 6 to 7. There's going to be special guests rolling through all day. There's appetizer specials, specialty drinks, and a blues giveaway every hour from 11 to 7, including your chance at signed pucks, a signed Ryan O'Reilly jersey, and a Market Street Dream lithiograph from artist Rick Rush and more. It's the 101 ESPN Blue Season Preview Party today at Copper Fire in Belleville. You can get all the details at 101ESPN.com. Dan McLaughlin, Michelle Smallman here with you. More reaction to the Cardinals firing Mike Schilt yesterday. Keep it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 
Dan McLaughlin and Michelle Smallman here on 101 ESPN. We are talking all morning about Mike Schilt being fired as the Cardinals manager yesterday. Despite Dan... An historic 17-game winning streak and a postseason berth. Yet another postseason berth for Mike Schilt. John Mozalak and Mr. DeWitt having a press conference yesterday announcing the firing and citing philosophical differences to explain why they were moving on from Mike Schilt. Now, John Mozalak was asked a lot to elaborate on the philosophical differences a lot. Well, it's kind of confusing. There's, There's really no indication as to where the philosophical differences, what the crux of the philosophical differences are. And here is how Mo described those philosophical differences not really um all i can say is 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 that uh you know where we felt the team was going um we were struggling to get on the same page and and you know ultimately uh with him having one year remaining left on his contract we could have certainly gone into uh 2022 with with him um having that over him and we just decided internally that it would just be best to um to separate now and um, then take a fresh look as we enter the new season. So Mike Schild, Dan had signed a three-year extension after 2019. He was heading into the final year of his contract and John Mozalek explaining there that they knew that there were philosophical differences. He could have entered this season with that hanging over his head, but essentially, if I'm reading between the lines, Mo's saying we didn't think that we were going to be able to get on the same page, so why why move forward? Yeah, the uh, definition, by the way, philosophical differences, if you want to figure out exactly what it means, difference is a key concept of philosophy denoting the process or set of properties by which one entity is distinguished from another within a relational field or a given conceptual system. Hmm. So there you go. Okay. Um, as I said, I think the key quote, the money quote from Mo for me, quote, we felt like the leadership downstairs needed to be on the same page. Well, that tells me there is differences in where they thought the organization was going. Philosophical differences, maybe on the hitting side. I would imagine that was probably part of this. Uh, philosophical differences, maybe on the analytical side, as opposed to maybe more people that are on the baseball side where, yeah, we'll mix in some analytics, but still there's the baseball component. Maybe that was part of it. Um, you know, and the bottom line is this guy won a lot, man. 550, uh, 559 winning percentage. And I mentioned it earlier, better than Tony, better than Whitey, better than Red, better than Joe Torre. He did a very good job. So clearly there was a massive difference of opinion on where this, uh, the direction of the franchise was going. Now, people say, well, what, what does that mean? Where, where's the direction? Only they can answer it because it really wasn't answered yesterday mm-hmm. in terms of, well, we're going 100% on this or we needed him to be on board with this guy or there was a problem inside the club. We don't know, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why there's a lot of gray area when we wake up this morning. You mentioned the hitting philosophy, and that's where my mind went yesterday when the the term philosophical differences first popped up because we know how steadfast John Mozeliak and the Cardinals organization has been in supporting Jeff Albert and his organizational philosophy that he's implemented throughout the organization, not just here at the Major League Club. And that was a question that was asked yesterday. Is Jeff Albert going to be back? And does the relationship between Jeff Albert and Mike Schilt impact the decision to fire Mike Schilt yesterday? Um, as of right now, Jeff Jeff Albert is under contract, so I would expect him to be back. And in terms of uh, that being the sole reason for this decision, the answer is no. I think there's a key point in what he just said. Is that the sole reason? Mm -hmm. So when I read into it a little bit, I think, well, maybe that is a reason. Right. I mean, listen to the you got to you got to listen. Emily, can you play that again? Let's listen one more time, because, Dan, I think you're right. 
Oh, sorry. She must have X'd out of it. There you go. Um, as of right now, Jeff, Jeff Albert is under contract, so I would expect him to be back. And in terms of uh, that being the sole reason for this decision, the answer is no. So when you hear sole reason, uh-huh, it does uh-huh. sound like potentially maybe that is a reason. Now, is it the number one reason? I wouldn't think so, because, you know, when the, when the team was really struggling in June, there was a lot of people that were upset uh, in the fan base with what's going on hitting. Yeah, the Tommy Edmond comments, clearly that, that I think, you know, struck a chord with a lot of people. Um that saw the lack of offense, the lack of hitting, the lack of situational hitting. And, um, you know, I'm sure there was internal discussions at that point. You know, do we need to make a change, get a fresh voice in here? And they have they've stuck with Jeff. And I'm not saying that this is the reason he's fired. I'm just saying that maybe there's there's one of them, though, you know, mm-hmm. and, and maybe the other thing is Mike had some ideas of what he wanted to see going forward. And Mo was saying, well, wait a minute now. I'm, I'm running the team and this is what I'm thinking. And if he said, I, I don't agree with that, well, then you're, you're not on board. Right. You're not yeah, on the same sure. page. And, and maybe that's something that goes into this, too. I'm, I'm just curious what it is about the Jeff Albert philosophy and the results that the Cardinals have seen thus far that makes them so committed to him and to the philosophy. Because, yes, we saw the this Cardinals offense turn a corner down the stretch. That's certain. We saw a lot of guys like Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader make some strides from an offensive perspective. I know we talked about it's not just about what you're seeing at the major league club. It's it's guys in the minors and throughout the organization and how they're digesting and applying this philosophy. But it, it just seems like they are very, very committed to Jeff Albert and, and to his way of thinking and applying things that even when players make public comments about this, they have Jeff Albert's back. They're on the analytics side of this. And if I'm reading through the lines and Mike Schilt has not come out and said anything yet and John Mozeliak said this is not the sole reason for the de- this decision but if there was dissension at all within that and this was part of the contributing factor, I would really just like to hear from the organization at some point as to maybe something concrete as to why they're so supportive of this. Well, it's not only with the Major League Club, Michelle. I right. mean, he's implemented this system of the various analytic looks at baseball and and the various tools that he has in his toolbox mm-hmm. to try to get guys, you know, is in in his philosophies and his teachings. This is not only what's happening inside that dugout. So understand that it's a bigger, you know, he's he's overseeing basically the offensive side of hitting for the organization. So there is a lot, and I mean a lot, invested in Jeff Albert. Mm-hmm. So it's not just what's going on and can I correct player X. It's about. The, we're, we're using these philosophies up and down the organization. Right. So to answer your question, yeah, they're they're invested. They're absolutely invested. So it's much easier to remove one person who might not be 100% on board with that. And I'm not suggesting this is what happened, but rather than undo all of the threads that have been potentially sure. sewn throughout the organization. I'm just trying to rationalize yeah, for sure. a little bit. Um, well, let's get to some of your texts and mic drops. Obviously, a lot of reaction coming in today. Let's get to a Rhino Shield mic drop on the 101 ESPN app. This is Jason. Mo has done plenty of things during his tenure that I just don't understand. But he's taken the cake on this one. When I hear philosophical differences, the first thing that comes to my mind is that Schilt really just wanted to win. And Mo was convinced that he had to prove everybody that he was the smartest man in baseball. 
and it feels like the sticking point could have been some of the advanced saber metrics that Mo seems to be all about that it seems like Schilt threw to the side when they started their run in September. Jem Mozalek spoke about this a little bit yesterday. He said this was not just about this season and not just about wins and losses. This was about the direction that the club was moving towards in the future. This is not about, you know, what should uh, Alex Reyes be the uh, closer? Should he have faced Sutsugo? Should he have come in against the Dodgers? That, that's not it. Um, to me, it's about where they're going at moving forward. Unless something comes out that we just don't know. And maybe we're going to hear something. I I don't know. Um I would doubt that. But again, stranger things have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why we wake up and it's it's such a gray area. Mm-hmm. And we're all trying to kind of wrap our arms around it and figure out, okay, well, what exactly is this? Was there a blow up in a meeting? Was there a problem uh, on a personal level between Mo and, and Schild? I, you know, those two know each other for almost two decades. Mo hired him. So, you know, the, you got to think that there's a personal relationship there that, that runs deep. And again, we just don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the one thing that I still haven't at least figured out or been able to decipher is why act with such urgency. I thought you made a great point earlier about putting Mike Schilt in a good position to interview with other teams because he is a good manager and potentially land somewhere else before all of those seats are taken in the musical chairs of the managers. But I also wonder if it's because they know who their guy is, if they were going to go through some potential candidates later in the show, but maybe they realized that this was not going to work out with Mike Schilt and they have someone in mind that they would like to tab as the manager. And they wanted to make sure to have those conversations before someone else potentially talked to a candidate that they were eyeing. Sure. And you know, the other thing is, when I look at what's going on here, too, is that the, the Cardinals have had a lot of continuity in that spot, in that seat, mm-hmm. even with Matheny through the ups and downs. I mean, he was here for almost six and a half years and gave him a chance to kind of learn on the job and the various things that go on, whether it's game management, uh, dealing with the personalities that you have to deal with. And I thought, Mike, you know, it, that's the one thing I... I we weren't around the team as much, obviously, the last couple of years. So you, you do get a lot of insight behind the scenes of what's going on. I, I just don't know. You know, and that's I'm like you. I wake up this morning. And again, I did talk to Mike yesterday. It was more of a, a, a relationship kind of thing of just, hey, I'm here to listen if you need to talk. And, you know, he was stunned. So I, I think he thought going forward. Matter of fact, I know going he thought going forward he was going to be the manager next year and beyond. And. I think also he'll say that, look at my body of work. I did a pretty good job here. Three straight postseasons, almost got in when the team was buried, when they fired Mike Matheny. So I I think he's left scratching his head a little bit here, too. That's Sam McLaughlin. I'm Michelle Smallman. More of your reaction later. But coming up next, get those texts into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman here with you on Carriker and Smallman with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. It's 7.53, that time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it's time for a little take it or leave it. Let's get to your text on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Emily, what do you have for us? From the 618 take it or leave it, Schilt will end up in Cincinnati. Cincinnati, that's interesting. No, that's not going to happen. They just extended David Bell. So that's not going to happen. Um, 
I think he uh, he's definitely going to get interviewed because, you know, one of the places I look at is San Diego. Same. Um, they, the, the hire for A.J. Preller in San Diego for their next manager is huge for A.J. Preller. It's huge for their organization. They have invested in Tatis. They invested in Machado. They invested in Hosmer. Uh, their expectations, obviously, coming into the season were huge. They were very good for half the year or four months out of the year. And they've talked about that in their next hire, they have to have a guy with experience. Um, and so that's why I think that... Uh, the guy I, I've said a month ago is Bruce Bochy. I, I could see that happening, but if it's not him, um, it's going to be, you know, could be, I, I really do think it could be Mike Schilt. Um, yeah. And it would make sense because he can manage. He's good. You know, we'll see going forward. Not only has he had success as a manager, but I wonder what his background, what his his roots in the Cardinals organization, how desirable that is for an organization like, good the, point. like the Padres. He's been through this organization at every step of the way. This organization obviously has had a lot of success, and I would imagine that he could implement a lot of things that have worked for the Cardinals organization somewhere like San Diego. Yeah, it, w- it would just make some sense. And again, they, they're looking for a guy with experience to get him over the hump, and you make a very valid point. I, I got to wonder from the outside looking in when people say, man, that's a guy that was um, affiliated with George Kissel and managing the minor leagues and was there for 18 years. And the Cardinals have had very good success overall if he's the right fit for us and becomes um, a commodity, mm-hmm. you know, that we look at what is what's in the secret sauce that maybe he knows that they got that right. he can bring to our organization. And I, I think that's valid. One other thing that I think is probably appealing for organizations and that Mike Schilt certainly possesses, possesses. It's something that I think fans get frustrated with at times, but Mike Schilt seems to be a very good manager of people. I think he understands that you can't manage everybody the same way and that he approaches different, different players differently. And in today's world, that seems to be something that's really valuable, especially with young players. A lot of young players need the reassurance or the comfort or they want a manager that isn't going to throw them under the bus publicly and I don't know just just knowing that Mike Schilt has that that might be appealing for a team if they have young superstars now that's the public so that's what we get on the the zooms and the press conferences when he's not flipping over a spread and going (laughs) this guy stinks and yeah he's terrible and all that kind of stuff which makes me wonder about this decision Um, is it a decision where they didn't feel like, okay, going forward, there was uh, whatever it was, philosophical differences. Okay, does that mean of the analytics side or didn't get along with this guy? Or is it about his relationships? And that's something we don't know, and I doubt that it'll come out, is only people that know that are those those guys, the 26 players, and his coaching staff. And was there something behind the scenes? And maybe we just don't know. And I doubt we will know because... The Cardinals, you know, didn't go into details as to really why they did this. And my my guess would be Mike Schilt is not going to come out and just torch people on the way out and say, well, this guy did this and this guy did that. And, you know, I was left to do this and I was left to I, it's just not going to happen. So it, I would assume. So are those relationships, to your point, are they what we think they are? Mm-hmm. And. That'll be left for interpretation. From the 660, take it or leave it, Tony leaves the White Sox to come back to manage the cards. Not a chance. I'll leave that. It would be fun, but I'll leave it. No, he's there for Jerry Reinsdorf, and that'll be it. He's got a three-year deal, by the way, too. 
from the 618, take it or leave it, it won't happen. But if there were ever to be a player coach again in baseball, Yachty would be the best candidate. I saw a lot of people tweeting that yesterday, half serious, half in jest, just make Yachty a player manager. That's not going to happen. And Yachty already does do so many things on the field. He manages in a lot of different ways, which is an asset to whoever does take over Mike Schultz's position. He's like a coach. Um, Be a little tough to get guys up in the bullpen and start getting them loose (laughs) when you're behind the plate. So, no, it's not going to happen. From the 314, take it or leave it. This one came in yesterday, and we got we to gotta go real quick on this one, guys. It's a thinker. Stubby Clapp will be a manager soon. Also, Skip Schumacher will be the next manager for the Padres. It so, came in before this news broke, yeah. and I saved it from yesterday. Uh, I think Stubby Clapp will be a uh, interviewed, maybe a finalist, could be a front runner at this point for the job, as it was talked about. And no, I don't think Skip's going to get the Padres job because of the aforementioned reasons. They, they're going to want somebody with more experience, I think, um, even though he's been a bench coach and is very analytically sound. The thing about, though, going forward is that they kept saying that they wanted to kind of keep it in-house. Mm-hmm. What was the phrase that was internal used? Internal candidates. Internal candidates, Consider yeah. internal candidates. So you're talking, and I know we're going to get more into this, but right off the hopper, I'm thinking Ali Marmol. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking uh, Stubby Clap, And there's some others I'm sure we're going to get into as uh, the morning goes along. We'll talk about i got some guys that I've, I've thought about. We've got a list. We're going to share that a little bit later. That's Sam McLaughlin. I'm Michelle Smallman. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Mike Farron, MLB Network radio host. Get the national reaction to Mike Schilt being fired by the Cardinals yesterday. That's here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. And Michelle Smallman here with you on 101 ESPN. It's 802. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We've been reacting all morning to the news that dropped yesterday. The Cardinals announcing that after a 90 and 72 finish this season, that they have fired manager Mike Schilt. Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line and welcome in MLB Network radio host Mike Farron to talk about this news. Mike, good morning. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. Good morning. It's good to be on with you. Mike, just simple question. What was your reaction yesterday when you got the word about the Cardinals' decision to to fire manager Mike Schilt? I mean, I was on a flight to Houston for the ALCS, and as soon as it came down, my phone started blowing up with, what, really? This happened? I am stunned, absolutely stunned. With the kind of, and, and I think even Mike Schilt referred to himself this way, as a, an organization man, right? It's so it's somebody who has kind of lived and breathed the cardinal way to see it happen over philosophical differences in the end like i think it was just stunning to see from the outside and you know i I listen i've gotten to know mike a little bit he's been a regular on our radio show for the last three years um i really respect everything that he's done in building a career for somebody who didn't play professionally to, to achieve that status and have that level of success is remarkable so when that news came down, I did. I mean, I felt like it came out of nowhere. Where do you think he may wind up? Because he's going to get some interviews, as you know, Mike. And uh, you know, he's going to have a chance to move on and, and have success. I would assume. So, where do you think uh, the likely choice may be, or if there's a choice here in twenty twenty one twenty two coming up? Yeah, that's a really good question, Dan. And, and I think you know, part of it is. You know, all of these jobs are custom fits, right? And then they're custom fits until they're not, which I think is probably part of the case with with what happened in St. Louis. So, um, you know, I think Mike 
Mike has some connections to the Padres organization. There's some people there that, that he's close with. Um, I think his style and his um, his commitment to fundamentals, his his gravitas, I think would carry weight in that clubhouse. That would be a spot that would stand out to me. I mean, the other openings we're looking at are, you know, potentially, you know, if Dusty Baker doesn't get a new contract in Houston, which seems incredible, but, but it wouldn't be the first time that Dusty's had a team either on the precipice of the World Series or in the World Series and then not return to them because he doesn't fear free agency. Um, you know, I don't know that Houston would be a fit for him. I'm not sure if the Mets are, are the right job for him. The one, the one that stands out to me right now is San Diego. But, but you know, I think I, I don't think he's going to be out of a job very long. I mean, let's say that the managerial merry-go-round skips him this turn. Like, adding him into your player development group in your front office or as a bench coach on a big league staff where a manager wants to rely on his bench coach, I think that would be, he would be a, a great fit to any organization who wanted that because of his, his knowledge, his expertise, and, and, and all these things that he can bring that I think help get players better, better at the granular level. MLB Network radio host Mike Farron joining us here on 101 ESPN. And let's look at the other side of the coin here in St. Louis. Mike, who do you think would be a good fit to take over for Mike Schilt as the Cardinals manager? You know, Michelle, it really seems like, and, and I don't know, you guys might have more insight into it because you're closer to it than me, but just in every conversation I had yesterday, it seems like this is most likely an internal candidate. I mean, if you have philosophical differences because, you know, like Mike was the guardian of the Cardinal way, right? And so if, if the front office is in, and understandably as we move forward, like everything needs to evolve, right? So if you're trying to, you know, put together Cardinals way too, you want people that are on the same page in that. And that goes all the way from the bottom to the top. And, and one of the things I think the Cardinals have done that's really interesting is try to streamline the, the process, the terminology from the top all the way down through player development so you need somebody that's on that page and probably a little bit modern in, in terms of, you know, some of the, their use of data um, and information and also probably has already a, a pretty good understanding of what, you know, what they would um, want to be talking about. So I would think guys like Oliver Marmol or, or Stubby Clapp, whose names have been mentioned, would probably fit that bill right at the outset. Maybe there's somebody else in the organization that, that you, t- you two are aware of that, that I'm not that would make that fit. But I, I would be hard pressed even for like a legacy Cardinal or, or seeming legacy Cardinal who's outside the organization to see the club go that way. Because I think they have tried to modernize things so much over the last four years that it's a much different um, philosophy or, or an evolving philosophy from what it had been for, for a long time. You think we need replay on check swings? <laughs> I mean, well, Danny, can you go in and, and fix the rule book so we know what a check swing is? That's a good I mean, point too. Even, it's not even written in there. I mean, what an anticlimactic ending, right? No like this great series, this great game last night, and to have it ended by that by by an umpire, by the way, who grew up in the Bay Area. Oh, <laughs> yeah. All of it, right? Like, like that was very bizarre. And it, you know, those are tough calls. I get it for umpires, but like that was really, really disappointing that that's the way that game ended. 
MLB Network ho- radio host Mike Farron joining us here on 101 ESPN. I wanted to circle back to the Mike Schilt news for one second, Mike. Mm-hmm. What did you make of the timing of this announcement? I know you said you were stunned. You were get- you were in the air when you got word. Your phone was blowing up. But it's pretty unusual for a team to make a decision the same day as a playoff game, especially an elimination game. The Cardinals actually having to seek permission from Major League Baseball to hold the presser to make the announcement. What did you make of the Cardinals' timing of this and their seeming sense of urgency in making this move? Well, I think I think it's probably because they didn't want to leave Mike hanging, you know, for a couple of days. If they knew that's what the decision was going to be, then my guess is that they wanted to make the decision that they wanted to say, "Listen, this is this is it. We're going to move on. We need to we need a different direction." So, I think it, it was nothing other than like, if this is what we're going to do, we need to do it now. As weird as it sounds, it's kind of out of respect to the man because, you know, if, if, if you're letting Mike sit around for another week and you know you're going to do this, and then you let him down when you get to, you know, an approved off day in the series or something like that, you know, that doesn't really fly. So um, I, I think it, it made the most sense. And the fact that they had had an off day on Wednesday um, and not been able to do it maybe speaks to where the discussions were leading then and that they didn't have a full plan in place on Wednesday to be able to do this, which would have been a natural day. I mean, that's when the Yankees announcement kind of came that they were they were um, not bringing back a few coaches, I think, right, or at least that information got to the coaches on Wednesday. So, I, you know, I don't think it, it's a little bit unusual, but I think I, I caution making too big a deal out of it. We certainly have seen hirings and firings happen during the playoffs and the World Series on game days before. You know, I, I loved your conversations uh, with Mike Schild. I would tune in all the time, Mike, and uh, I'm a big Mike Schild fan and got to know him very, very well over the years. His 18 years in the organization. So I really believe if, if you're a team that needs to clean up fundamentals, especially base running, defense, He's probably your guy, and now with three years under his belt or more, being a major league manager, um, he's got the checkbox uh, checked off with the uh, the experience aspect of things. I guess maybe you'll find out, you know, how is he with relationships with his coaches, his players, front office? That'll be the question. But on some of the other yeah. things, man, he's he's got it. Yeah, and I, I don't know how much you've been able to delve into that yet, but I mean, just the initial reactions I got was that everybody was surprised, and while. I, and and the players genuinely seem to like Mike, at least what I've heard from what I've heard in the initial reaction. So I don't think getting the respect of the players is necessarily going to be an issue some place it goes. But but I agree with that. I mean, I think he's you know he's the kind of guy I always joke that like he's the guy at the American Baseball Coaches Association uh, convention every year that at three a.m. at the bar is designing new bunt plays for everyone, and everybody's right. like watching with rapt attention. I mean. That's kind of who he is, and and I and I say that with a great amount of respect for it, and 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 interest in it because he just you know, he 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 loves baseball like few people like baseball. Like I thought I loved baseball more than anybody I knew, and then I met Mike. You know, so like like I, I just think he's on a different level in that in that level of care, and I think his humanity too is just a really important part of who Mike Schild is as a person. I think he treats. You know, I, I think he, you know, in, in conversations and the way that he, he talks to people, I think he treats them well, and I think he treats them with respect for the most part. So, like, I, I think it's, I think you're right. Like, if you needed to clean up fundamentals, if you needed to, hell, I would hand him the keys to, to run a farm department if, if he were interested in that, because I think he just has so much knowledge. Like, even as much as the Cardinal way may be adapting, there's a lot of good stuff that he has. There's a lot of institutional knowledge that he has from the George Kitzel playbook. That if I were another organization, I would want to tap into like ASAP. 
MLB Network Radio host Mike Farron joining us here on 101 ESPN. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore Farron. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time to jump on with us and react to this news. We appreciate you. Yeah, no problem, Michelle. Dan, have a great day. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. That's Mike Farron, MLB Network Radio host, here with us on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, more of your texts, more of your mic drops, more of your reaction to the news of the Cardinals fired Mike Schilt yesterday over philosophical differences. We're going to hear from you next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Danny Mack and Michelle Smallman here with you on 101 ESPN. We've been reacting all morning long to the news yesterday that the Cardinals have chosen to fire manager Mike Schilt. This coming off of a 90-72 and 72 finish this season, including an historic 17-game winning streak and a playoff berth. Mike Schilt is 252-199 and 199 in three-plus seasons, and he was named the National League Manager of the Year back in 2019. And we want to hear from you. Get, get us your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780, or you can leave us a mic drop on the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app, like this one from Zach, who's with us on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. Michelle, here's my take. Didn't love Mike Schilt. Didn't hate Mike Schilt. Mike Schilt won 91 games a season. That was his average. That's pretty damn good in my opinion. My biggest problem with this is that Mo comes out and says philosophical differences. Why does Mo have to be so cryptic with this stuff, right? Like, what does that even mean as a fan base? I don't get it. Uh, I don't understand um, why that's the term he decided to use. By the way, I've never heard that term for a firing in my life. But who wants to come here? Who's going to come here now and say, you know what? Hey, the Cardinal job's open. Hey, the last manager won 91 games a season and made the playoffs. But let's let's check that job out. That's, let's see what that's all about. Maybe Mo will fire me for philosophical differences in three years. Mo, what is philosophical differences, bro? What is that? A couple things to unpack with that. And uh, I understand the fan base being frustrated where you want to say he was fired because of X. Didn't win enough games. Uh, Made some awful tactical moves down the stretch or throughout the season. And we just couldn't do it. Bullpen management. Then fans go, okay, now let's let's dive into it. Philosophical differences is pretty broad based. my, my thinking of as to why he did this in, in that regard, and I'll go back to what I would expect we hear from Mike Schilt, is it's almost a way of, of you're, you're not saying why. You're not giving the fan base the reason why. You're not pulling back the curtain, and you're just trying to take the high road a little bit because if he came out and said, we fired him because he didn't get along with this guy, this guy, this guy, and he did this, and he did that, and we didn't like this, and we didn't like that, um, in your own line of work, I would think that you wouldn't appreciate it if your former boss did that. So you're trying to leave it open to where hey, we had some differences. Now, I'm curious what you think, Michelle, because um, I think you're trying to take the high road by doing it that way, so it allows him in his next position to not be questioned about certain things that maybe they want to keep behind the scenes mm-hmm. privately. Uh, and, and it might be relationships, you know. That's where I'm, I'm guessing where the quote was, we felt like the leadership downstairs needed to be on the same page. 
Were there guys down there that didn't get along? And maybe it's the relationships part of this that we just don't know about, and they're not going to make that public. So I understand that. The uh, the mic drop also said, who wants to come here? I guarantee you there's a lot of people that would want to come here. <laughs> yeah. And one of the main reasons is you should be pretty darn good next year with a chance to win. And I would assume they're going to spend some money this offseason to improve the club. So I don't think there's going to be a problem trying to find somebody to come here and manage this team. And that person very well could already be in uniform and very well could have been in that dugout for the last handful of years. We'll see. First of all, it's a major league managerial spot. That's it's, a, true. it's a very rare spot. So a lot of people are going to want that job. And you're working for an organization with an incredibly rich history of success. And to your point, Dan, a postseason team that looks primed to be better next year. This is a very, very desirable job for a lot of candidates out there. And to the mic drop about wanting to get more information on the philosophical differences. I understand that. When I when I first heard that yesterday, I was like, give us a little bit more intel. I know sure. a lot of people on the Zoom, and I, I was driving at the time, so I they couldn't. Were at, he was asked constantly about it. He was asked. And he was not going to go down that road. Every which way, every angle, everyone was trying to get him to say more. And so we're left with a gray area this morning. Correct. But I think that you're correct, Dan, in the fact that it seemed like Mo yesterday kept referencing, I don't want to speak for Mike. I, I don't want to talk about this. He may have more to say when and if he chooses to speak on it, but I'm going to keep this private. This this conversation, the intricacies behind this decision is not something that is, I'm going to air out publicly. And I would imagine if you're John Mozalek and you understand that Mike Schilt is in fact a good manager and he's going to have a lot of opportunities to get another job, it's protecting him in some way to he didn't say anything. It's an 18 year relationship they've had. That yes. Obviously something has gone wrong. He's not going to bury him. For sure. And, and I think in most jobs, most walks of life, when somebody fires you, you're going to get that. They're not not saying it happens all the time. So hear me out. I'm not hot taking here. I know you want me to hot take. I'm, I'm not going to do it. Is that you're not going to bury somebody on the way out to where they can't get the next job. For sure. You, you've moved on. You're turning the page. You're going to bring in your guy that you want. There obviously was differences in opinion on whether it was relationships or whatever it may be. Right. And again, we're left with a gray area. But you're not going to bury him on the way out when he's giving you 18 years of his life to the organization. Ain't going to happen. Yeah, I thought that the way that I interpreted it at least is that it was them being respectful of Mike Schilt and everything that he had done for the for the organization and not wanting to, for lack of a better term, air dirty laundry or air a lot of the details because it just seemed like that's not something that they wanted to talk about. He, with him describing philosophical differences, I think he gave you an indication as to why this decision was made without going into a lot of the nitty gritty. And maybe after Mike Schultz lands somewhere else or when he Some of it's going to come out. It always does. Exactly. And then maybe Mo will have more to say on it. But it seemed like yesterday he was obviously very firm in the fact that we just want to announce that this has happened and maybe there's more to come later. Yeah. And, and it, it is... Again, it's open for interpretation at this point, and that's what we're doing right now and, and trying to figure out what happens. And then we got, we got a lot of mic drops, so let them rip. All right, this is Tim on 101 ESPN. Obviously, we're all uh, kind of in shock because that seemed to be uh, agreed upon. I just think a philosophical difference that I have with uh, Mo is that these vague answers just don't help you know, like we heard all the questions. They were very straightforward questions and he could not have danced around the questions any more than he did. And he always does. But I feel like if you don't address what is going on, you let this fan base kind of formulate their own opinions and jump to conclusions that might be wrong. 
So why not control the story and not let the story control you? I don't know. I think the, the wrong guy got fired here. I think that's fair. I, and I'm so I'm kind of doing a counterpoint here. And that is fair because you're left open to say, well, is this about Jeff Albert? So what is Jeff Albert facing next year when he comes back? Um, is this about he and Mo having some type of problem behind the scenes? Is it about analytics? Is it about roster construction and wanting him to go out and get guys? And he didn't do I, I get it. And we just don't know. So we're left to guess, which I don't like. But I understand also the fact that in doing this, things will cool down a little bit. And then things will probably come out. But you're not burying this guy potentially to go get his next job, which is, I think, one of the reasons that they're doing this. Absolutely. Let's get one more from John here on 101 ESPN. Oh, good morning. The news shows us that the Dom Bill DeWitt sent his bow tie assassin to clear out more space. Goodbye, Walt Jockety. Goodbye, Buddha. Goodbye, Derek Lilliquist. Goodbye, Mike Matheny, although you needed to go. Goodbye, Mike Schultz. Hell, even the Dom LaRussa was moved on and not invited back. Who's next for the Bowtie Assassin? And Jeff Albert, you better be darn good at your job in 2022. Well, Tony LaRussa won a World Series and then chose to leave a, yeah. <laughs> of his own volition. So I don't He's think that... supposed to retire. Yeah, and then he decided to come back. But I don't think that that necessarily uh, goes in with all the other ones. But in any organization, especially in sports, there's always going to be turnover. The Cardinals, I think, are an organization that has consistency far more than a lot of other organizations. This one, though, did come as a bit of a surprise with the timing. So they had organizational meetings last week and something happened there and again we're left to interpret maybe what happened uh was it an issue with inside the coaching staff were there players that came out privately to mow we don't know and that's you know that that's something that you have to think about um they are analytically based is there something that mike had a frustration with in that regard could be i mean all these things but you know they kept on saying we need to be on the same page and clearly they they weren't something happened last week in these meetings that they decided we got to make a change and they're going to move forward coming up at nine o'clock dan and i are going to go over a list of candidates potential candidates to replace mike schilt as the manager of the st louis cardinals but coming up next it's time for the fight here on 101 espn we're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Character. All right, it is the fight. It is 8.35. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. Randy is still on vacation. He'll be back on Monday. Michelle has left the room. She said, I want to do the fight. I said, no problem. And we say good morning to Matt. Hello, Matt. How are you? Good. How you doing? I'm doing well. What do you do for a living? I work for Spectrum. Awesome. Um if I have any issues with computers, I can call you personally or what? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. That's what everybody else does. I'm sure they do. Uh, are you ready to go? Do you feel confident? 
Um, I didn't feel confident Wednesday, and I won. So okay, I yes, I'll probably lose. So. All right, all right. Let's get going. We uh, are. You, are you uh, a big blues fan? I am. Okay, this is all blues questions because we okay. uh, drop the puck on the season uh, tomorrow night. You can see the game on Valley Sports and also listen to it on 101 ESPN. The Blues opened up last season uh, also against the Avs, winning 4-1. to one. Who scored the first goal for the Blues last year? Jordan Cairo, Oscar Sundquist, and Jaden Schwartz. Who could it be? Right. I'll go with Cairo. All right. Who scored the most goals for the Blues last year? Was it Ryan O'Reilly, Mike Hoffman, or David Perron? Perron. Who was the last Blue to win the Norris Trophy? Big Al McKinnis, uh, the captain that left Alex Petrangelo, or Chris Pronger? Oh, man. I know Pronger won the heart in Norris in like 2000, but I don't know if McKinnis won after that. So, uh... Man, I'll go. Uh, I'll go prongs. Okay. And who did the Blues select with their only number one overall pick in franchise history? Was it Eric Johnson, the captain again, Alex Petrangelo, or Bernie Federico? Eric Johnson. All right. How do you feel about this blue season as we bring Michelle back into the studio? I'm pretty pumped. I think they got a lot of depth. Um, I don't know why they're not getting a lot of credit like nationally, but I think they'll, I think they'll be pretty good. All right. Well, we're going to find out. Uh, Michelle is just taking off the mask as she's being responsible. <laughs> Thank you, Dan, no for problem. acknowledging that. Uh, say, <laughs> say good morning to Matt. Hi, Matt. How are you? Great. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Good. Thanks. Good luck in the fight. I don't think you're going to need much luck because you you're going against me, but. <laughs> Away we go. Okay. Now, do I have to give you options? Yes, of course. <laughs> okay. All right. At least you're honest about it. Yeah, for sure. The Blues opened up last season against the Avalanche. They're going to do it again tomorrow night. Winning 4-1. to one. Who scored the first goal for the Blues last year? Jordan Cairo, Oscar Sundquist, or Jaden Schwartz? You know, I was just reading about Sonny. And that one popped in my head. It's not Cairo, but was it Schwartz? Was it Sonny or was it Schwartz? This is just a shot in the dark here, but let's go Jaden Schwartz. All right. Who scored the most goals for the Blues last season? Ryan O'Reilly, Mike Hoffman, or David Perron? The most goals. I know this one. I believe David Perron led the team in points and ROR, I think, led the team in goals. Who was the last Blue to win the Norris Trophy? Al McKinnis, Alex Petrangelo, or Chris Pronger? The last blue to win the Norris Trophy. Um, well, I don't think Petro ever won one. And Chris Pronger did and probably won, obviously won after Al McKinnis. So I'm going to go with Chris Pronger. Who did the Blues select with their only number one overall pick in franchise history? Was it Eric Johnson, Alex Petrangelo, or Bernie Federko? Well... I know Eric Johnson was a number one pick, so let's go with Eric Johnson. Emily, we have a winner. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Optical Expressions, providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. Oh, we have a winner, and it is Michelle.
I'm sorry, Matt. Matt, I am so it's sorry. Right. I am Congratulations. So sorry. I thought this would be a, a guaranteed win for you to face Randy on Monday. I was confident, too. I don't know what happened there. Were well, you confident because you like the blues? You're confident because you're taking on Michelle? Probably both. Uh, I guess a little bit of both. <laughs> oh, man. Come on, Matt. All you right. know what? That teaches people to underestimate me, Dan. <laughs> I like it. So you'll be back on Monday. I think Randy should read the questions Monday. I, see, I wouldn't want to deprive a listener oh. of the opportunity to go against Randy. He's the marquee name here in the fight. He's the trivia guy. Understood. You understood. Know? Okay, so we have the Blues opened up the season <laughs> last year against the Abs. They'll do it again tomorrow. Uh, winning 4-1. to one. Who scored the first goal for the Blues last year? It was Oscar, first period, assisted by Jaden Schwartz ah. and Robert Thomas. You both got that wrong. Uh, who scored the most goals in the uh, Blue season a year ago? It was the captain, Ryan O'Reilly had 24 goals, and Michelle, you were right. David Perron had 58 points to lead the team, but mm-hmm. O'Reilly had 24 goals. Last blue to win the Norris Trophy, um, it was Chris Pronger. I've always said this when I was doing the Blues. The season that he had in 99-2000 is the most dominant season I've ever seen a hockey player have. Now, I, I didn't watch Gretzky every day. Mm-hmm. I wasn't traveling with Wayne Gretzky, so I didn't see every game. But in watching Blues hockey for a long time and doing the Blues for a long time, uh, Pronger was unbelievable. I mean, I don't use that term lightly. He was truly unbelievable on the ice, and it was crazy. They had McKinnis, they had Pronger, and if one was on the ice, one was on the bench, and then it would go vice versa, and it was like 60 minutes. You had two Hall of Famers out there on the ice, but Prongs was awesome that season. And who did the Blues select with their only uh, number one pick overall in franchise history? And it was such a transition phase, and we had a bunch of those with the Blues, but it was back in the Mm mid-2000s in 06, and that was indeed the defenseman. The American, Eric Johnson, things didn't work out here. He goes to Colorado and yada, yada, yada. But that was in 2006. Petro, by the way, was fourth overall. Bernie was seventh overall in 1976. Matt, thanks for taking uh, part in the fight. We appreciate it very much. Have a great weekend. Thanks for having me. It was great. Okay. Thanks, Matt. Do you have uh, any music that you play when you win? No, Dan. I do not rub it in people's faces the way that Randy does, and mostly because I have zero confidence that I would ever win. So, no, I do not have music ready in case I do. (laughs) Understood. All right. Coming up next, we're going to talk it over with Mike Kelly. He is the voice of the Missouri Tigers. And uh, the Tigers, their defense hasn't been very good. And by the way, they got to take on Texas A&M, who just upset number one Alabama. Ouch. Mike Kelly is next. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Danny Mack and Michelle Smallman here on 101 ESPN. Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and talk a little Mizzou football with the voice of the Missouri Tigers. Mike Kelly is with us here on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Good morning, Michelle. How are you? We're doing well. Hey, Mike. (laughs) Dan. How you doing, Mike? Who's this? <laughs> this is Dan McLaughlin, uh, Mike. You know, we've known each other for a long time. One of my best friends. Oh. We talk all the time. I'm, yeah, that guy. The, you know, the guy oh. that I was supposed to play a golf tournament with uh, next week, but you went and got three other guys. Wow. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> that It's self-explanatory, isn't it? Sounds like you didn't I mean, want to be with me. That's okay. Two former college golfers or you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll take your winnings after you guys win. That'll be nice. Oh, 
by the way, you do hey, you do a great job. And in all seriousness, uh, the SEGS for Vets a golf tournament is coming up. Mike has been on the board of that. That's not why we got you on, by the way. We wanted to talk a little football. But um, that is coming up on Monday, uh, Persimmon Woods, and they just do an amazing job. I've been involved with it. Uh, Mike got me involved with it, which is getting segues for veterans that have been uh, disabled in combat and, and serving our country. And it's an inspirational day. And, Mike, you guys do just a wonderful job with that. Jerry Kerr runs the organization, so you're to be commended for all the uh, – awareness you brought to that and also all the money that you've raised so it's a great thing well yeah i, I do very little i mean honestly it's, it's jerry kerr it's 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 kelly Gaines, it's it's zach reeves it's it's others that 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 really you know run the operation and it's it's hard to imagine that it's been 20 years and uh you know um several thousand um segways or alley chairs delivered to our servicemen, men and women who have come back with uh, with with huge mobility issues uh, from the theater of battle, and you know, several years ago started reaching back to the Vietnam era veteran, and uh, it's just it's it's really a humbling experience because uh, there's nothing like the spirit and the determination of the uh, of of the warriors that uh, that keep us safe. No question. Well put. For sure. Mike Kelly, the voice of the Missouri Tigers, here with us on 101 ESPN. And a tough matchup, Mike, for Mizzou this weekend as they face Texas A&M, who's coming off a huge win over Alabama. Maybe it's a little bit of a hangover game. Who knows? But how do you see a potential path to victory for Mizzou over that Aggies team? Well, Bill O'Brien, you're first and goal at the three. Brian Robinson's averaging almost six yards a carry. Why do you throw the ball three times from first and goal in your three? You settle for a field goal, uh, four-point play right there, four-point uh, situation, and uh, A&M wins by three. So, um, you know, first of all, you know, credit the Aggies because they played they played really, really well. Calzada, the quarterback, was, was state-of-the-art. He completed his first 10 passes. Uh, they've got a variety of playmakers, you know, on their offensive side. From a defensive standpoint, they're, they're really good at, at bringing, you know, different – type of pressures and blitz packages each and every game. So yeah, it, it, it is a, it, it's a, it's a difficult assignment. Uh, I can't imagine that A&M is going to play as well as they did last week uh, before 106 screaming standing fans at Kyle field, which, which was state of the art last weekend. Um, but um, you know, you, you, you've got to do your best, you know, right. You got to come out and, and, and try to stop the run. Um, and, uh, you know, try to score on offense as much as you possibly can. How would you sum up what's happened, Mike, with the uh, the Tigers so far this season? Uh, I think they're probably about where I thought they would be uh, at the beginning of the season. Uh, you know, three and three. I didn't, I didn't foresee Tennessee beating Missouri by the margin of victory that they, that they did. Uh, I thought the Boston College game was going to be a difficult game to win on the road for this team, uh, but they got it to overtime and had a chance. Um, Kentucky is Kentucky was a was a game that um, you know again you had a chance to win if you could make one more play. But uh, I think we've seen that 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 Kentucky's legit this year, and that you know if there was a team or a school that really excelled in the transfer portal during the offseason, it was it was Mark Stoops and his staff with you know Levis the the quarterback, Wondell uh, Robinson the the, uh, the the wide receiver that came from Nebraska. And uh, Dari Rosenthal, the 
uh, tackle that came from from LSU. So, um, kind of thought that they'd be where they where where they are. Um, I, you know, and you still have things in front of you. You just got to uh, figure out a way uh, to to pick off some more wins as the season progresses. The voice of the Missouri Tigers, Mike Kelly, here with us on 101 ESPN. And, Mike, there's been a lot of eyes on this Mizzou defense this season. A couple weeks ago, they fired their defensive line coach, Jethro Franklin, and Al Davis is now going to coach the defensive line for the rest of the season. What do you think that Al Davis can bring to Steve Wilkes' defense? I don't know a lot about Al Davis, uh, just what I've read. I've, I've, I've only you know met him briefly in passing, um, actually during training camp and, and, and briefly I saw him after the Boston College game. So uh, what the players have said early on, Michelle, is that he's, he's brought unity and camaraderie and that uh, there, there was a sense of urgency, uh, that they didn't feel like they were playing at the level that they should and that the, as a group and as a unit that they, they met together and decided that they all needed to to do better. Um, you know, listen, I mean, I, I, I'm not surprised by the struggles that Missouri's had from a defensive standpoint. Um, I, I thought at the beginning of the season that the defensive line might be better than it is played to this point in the season, but you know, numbers don't lie. And if you're just, if you go back and you look at the last three games of last season, Missouri against Arkansas gave up 600 yards of total offense, almost 300 yards rushing and 48 points against Georgia. The following week, they gave up 600 yards of total offense, almost 400 yards rushing and 49 points against Mississippi state. Missouri gave up 500 yards of total offense and 51 points. They went one and two in those last three games, beating Arkansas on a last second field goal. Then from that defense a year ago, you take five starters, three guys that are playing in the NFL, uh, Bledsoe, along with uh, Gillespie and, uh, and Bolden starting for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, and then two guys that went into the transfer portal, Trey Williams initially went to, said he was going to Houston, ends up at Arkansas. Um, Markel Etsy ends up at Arkansas for his final year. He's an Arkansas native. You take five starters off of what I think everybody would say was a defense that struggled the last three games of the year. It's not surprising that they're struggling on defense this year. It's a rebuilding process. You need to understand it's, it's year two of a program, and, and, and how do you get better? Well, you got to recruit better, and, uh, and I know that that's something they're trying to do. How about uh, Eli Drinkwitz and just your thoughts generally on what he's done in the first, uh, I guess, year and a half now and how he's kind of holding up here in year two of uh, his tenure as the head coach of the Tigers? Uh, he's eight and eight. So, um, you know, I think he's, I, I, I think he is, uh, you know, I, I think there are some time I, 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 I enjoy being around him. First of all, uh, I think he's brought an energy, uh, to the program, particularly from a recruiting standpoint that, um, uh, you hope will pay dividends, uh, moving forward. And as I say, hope, I mean, the people that have committed, um, and maybe there's going to be another commitment in the, in, in the near future, you hope that all those folks sign and that you're able to develop them and that uh, they're able to, um, you know, lead this program uh, forward from that point. Um, I like his staff. I like being around him. Very impressive individuals. Uh, I think he's extremely uh, detail-oriented. Um, you know, I think he uh, also is a guy that, you know, was uh, – was humbled by the Tennessee game and was was stunned. But to his credit, afterwards, I thought he handled that setback extremely well when he was meeting with the media. I thought he was honest. I thought he was thoughtful. He didn't snap uh, at anyone. Uh, he absorbed it and and moved forward. And, and he knows that he has to continue, and he and his staff have to continue 
to work to build this program. So it's, you know, as I told him after the Tennessee game, he sat down next to me for Tiger Talk, and I said, listen, if there weren't problems, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> Good point. And that is well put. Uh, Mike, good luck on the event, by the way, on Monday. Uh, You're still invited to join us if you'd like to. I understand. (laughs) Um, By the way, I I do want to ask you about this very quickly. And I know that when you and I talk recruiting, we both are kind of in the same boat where we say, um, yeah, you know, we'll see how it works out. You hear about five-star, you hear about two-star, and then they make the guy into a five, all that stuff. Um, and I follow it from afar, but I am curious about, and I think Missouri fans are curious about Luther Burden, which is the young man from East St. Louis. And I believe he visits Georgia this weekend, visited Columbia last weekend. Um, what have you heard about that? Because clearly here in St. Louis, there's a lot of excitement about that young man. Uh, Dan, I honestly haven't talked to anybody about it. Um, I, I, you know, you and I have known, well, known each other long enough that I don't follow recruiting. I just don't. I don't get caught up into it because, you know, you can put a, you know, first of all, stars are deceiving, uh, depending on who your recruiting service is that you use and depending on how much of an emphasis individual programs in terms of money that they provide to those recruiting services, uh, you can, you can get, you can get stars flipped on guys just by the amount of money that you're given a different, a different service. So, so I don't, I don't follow it because, because stars don't tell you what, what's, what's inside the, the, the chest. Right. Stars don't tell you how determined the young man is to become a player. Um, and so, you know, I, I just don't follow it. I know there's a lot of excitement about the kid. I literally knew he was in town last weekend, but I haven't talked to anybody um, about his visit. I just I you know, that's just something I've, I've always just stayed out of. Sure. Mike, you are a five star person and broadcaster. <laughs> But I guess well, we're not supposed I, to put a lot into five stars, is what you're telling me. So, well, you know exactly. So, well, you uh, know. Anyway, have fun on uh, on Monday. Raise a bunch of money, my man, and uh, we'll catch up soon. It's great to talk to you, Michelle. Blessings the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> you too, Mike. Blessings to you as well. Thank Thanks you. Thanks a lot, Mike. Yeah. See you, buddy. That's uh, Mike Kelly, great voice of the Missouri Tigers. Um, he had asked me to intro him. At the MAC Jack Buck Awards, he got an award for his time behind the mic and different things that he's done. And one of the things that I said is that uh, Jack Buck told us, you are the eyes and the ears for those that can't be there. So those that are in a hospital, those that are in prison, those that are bedridden, those that are sick. And I, I mentioned this during the uh, the speech after making fun of Mike for a while. And then, then it got into the serious stuff. And uh, one of the things I said, though, was when you watch, I'm sorry, when you listen to Mike on the radio, he is absolutely awesome at the description of where the ball is, down in distance, who caught the ball? Where are they at? What's going? I, mean, I can visualize the game when I watch him. I don't always say that about some of the, the guys I listen mm-hmm. to across the country, but he, in in basketball, same way. He's just a great, great describer of the action. He's one of the best, and he's one of my mentors. I I love the guy. He's been a great friend to me. They always say that play-by-play and radio is the theater of the mind. So right. when you have someone that can really paint that picture for you. That's right. It's whether, a blank canvas, and you you paint it. It's unbelievable, though, how difficult it is to do that. Yes. And it's it's a skill, and Mike Kelly is the lead at it. You're he, right. He's, he's terrific. Um, we're going to talk about maybe potential replacements coming up. Is that right? We've got a list. All right. Let's do it. Uh, Dan and I are going to go through a list of potential candidates to take over the Cardinals' managerial position. That's next on 101 ESPN. 
right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. You know, as, as, as you guys can imagine, I mean, things have sort of kind of moved quickly over the last week. And in terms of uh, what we're going to look for, you know, I do think we have some quality internal candidates. Um, so ultimately, I'll just sort of, my staff will take the next uh, few days to sort of catch our breaths and then see what that next step looks like. That was Cardinals president of baseball operations, John Moselak, yesterday during the press conference after Mo had announced that the Cardinals have relieved Mike Schilt of his managerial duties. And Dan, when Mo was asked what he was potentially looking for in the person that will assume the Cardinals managerial position, he indicated that there was a lot of quality internal candidates. So as we're putting together our list of names, multiple times said that multiple times he indicated that there are quality internal candidates. So as we're putting together our list of names of people that the Cardinals may look to to replace Mike Schilt. Let's start there. And I think a lot of people, Dan, as they're writing the list, they have Oliver Marmol, the Cardinals bench coach, bench coach, excuse me, right at the top. Yeah, he is uh, a guy that has been groomed by the Cardinals, drafted by the Cardinals, managed at one point. He was the youngest manager uh, in professional baseball. He's only 35. Three years as Mike Schilt's bench coach and had the first base duties two years prior to that. So there's a familiarity, obviously, with him and with the organization and with the players. Um, Now, there's a couple ways to look at it. Do you want to go with a completely fresh new voice and bring in that? It didn't sound like that's the direction they wanted to go. They wanted to stay in-house, so to speak. Um, I would assume that he and Stubby Clapp right now would be the leaders in the clubhouse. That would be my guess. Stubby Clapp, if you recall, was a minor league manager at Memphis, back-to-back uh, PCL titles, uh, AAA championship overall in 2018. By the way, he's the only player to have his number retired in Memphis. I mean, he's a folk hero in Memphis. So obviously with Cardinal ties, relationship with Mo. Um, but my, if I, if somebody said to me right now, who do you think is going to be the Cardinals manager? My guess on this Friday morning, and again, there's going to be a lot that comes out here in the next, I would say, a few weeks. They want to get this thing done. They were talking about by, you know, mid-November. And maybe that decision has already been made by Mo in his mind. You know, maybe in the back of his mind, he's already got that guy. But things can change. You can walk in and all of a sudden... One of these guys that they're going to interview um, blows you away and you say, we need to rethink this. But if you're going to ask me right now, I would think that uh, Ali Marmol would be the leader in the clubhouse. But again, subject to change. I'm sure they're going to interview him, even though they know him so well. I'm, I'm sure they're going to go through all the processes that they have to do and to stay compliant with Major League Baseball, maybe their own internal uh, rules that they've got, or at least you know guidelines that they want to stay mm-hmm. and, and adhere to, but those would be the first two that jump off the page. But I do have a lot of other guys that I'm thinking about as well. Absolutely, and I would imagine that if you're going to indicate in the press conference several times that you have quality internal candidates, that that's where you're starting. Um, now, another guy who's not within the maybe or- pop one or two. That's right. That's you know, right. That's another one that has managed a long, long time. Another George Kissel disciple. I don't think that would be where they go, but I'm just going to I'm going to throw his name out there. What about Jose Okendo? I don't know if that 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 has come and gone. You know, um, would I like to see it? I'd love it. Mm-hmm. And I think there'd be a lot of players that would love to see it, too. He is old school in a lot of ways. Um, 
So would that rub some players the wrong way? Maybe. I mean, he can be very abrupt up front in your face about what he wants to get across. That's fine by me. Um, Some players respond to that. Other players don't. Clearly, the man knows baseball and can teach at a high level. You know, there was a lot of talk that he would be a manager, let's say, 10 years ago, and it didn't happen. Um, He was on my list of guys that maybe they would look at. Uh, I'd love to see him in some capacity with the Major League Club. I really would. I, I... He's such a valuable resource, but I don't know what his appetite is. When I talked to him right around COVID, when it hit, he was really enjoying his role, which was the pressure wasn't to be a manager or a coach. It was to help develop young young guys like he did at the satellite camp or does in spring training or bounces around at times and works with individuals. He really enjoyed that. He, he loves that, that face-to-face, you know, teaching the game. Uh, Nolan Gorman, I had a conversation with him not too long ago. He said, man, this guy has taught me so much already about when I was just playing third base. And then they moved me to second. And I've learned just just the little nuances, intricacies of the game. And I think he really enjoys that. So Mm -hmm. I don't know what his appetite would be if he'd want to throw his hat into that ring. You bring up a great point because I think... We all assumed years ago that at some point it was just a given that Jose Okendo would be a manager and that he would be a great one if given the opportunity. But if you have found a role that you really enjoy and that you really thrive in without the pressures of a manager, I don't I don't know. Maybe that window has closed for him, but he is a valuable asset to this organization. I think Jose is around 57, 58, his age. I could be wrong about that, I believe, but... I wonder if that that ship has sailed, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he looks at now as his role is more as a mentor for individuals and enjoys that more than the pressures of dealing every day with media and lineups and all the different things that go along with it and trying to win games. Now, another name that seems to pop up is Skip Schumacher, who obviously played here, has strong ties within the organization and is with the Padres associate manager. He's the bench coach. And Dan, it seems like Skip Schumacher is a very smart baseball guy and he does what the Cardinals are kind of looking for which is mixing the analytic side with a true baseball feel for the game, with baseball intelligence. He's got great rapport with players, too. Mm-hmm. Players really gravitate towards him. Um, I think he's going to be a manager at some point, even though he has not had managerial experience. He was the bench coach in San Diego. To your point, he does understand analytics, um, which is going to be a prerequisite for anybody that they bring in. You're going to have to understand analytics, but also his pedigree is being a world champion with the 2011 Cardinals, not far removed from uh, playing. Um, wouldn't shock me one bit if he got an interview. I, I just don't know if they would bring him in. And, you know, one of the things you got to consider, too, they could be going with uh, what he has not managed. So there are guys that they'll go with that may be managed in the pro game, but not at the major league level, which would be Ali Marmol. That would be Stubby Clap. That would be Pop Warner. But Skip has not managed, to my knowledge, at any other level. He's been a coach or a bench coach. And they went down that road with Mike Matheny. And, you know, there were some growing pains along the way. And I mm-hmm. think that they would they would maybe steer clear of a guy that has zero managerial experience. We'll see. Don't know. Well, maybe, maybe not. Well, I that, mean, there, there's, there's an allure yeah. to the other side of that, too. Fresh voice, fresh ideas, and a different look at the game. Kind of in that, that same space, Matt Holliday is a name that was on the list, I think, for a lot of people. A guy who, again, very intertwined with the Cardinals organization, a, a younger voice. He has relationships with so many of the guys on this team. We, we know some of his teammates are still on this team. We know his relationship with Nolan Arenado. I wonder if Matt Holliday, who comes from a coaching background, 
background, if that's some, someone that they would consider. And he's coaching now. Yeah. And uh, he's doing that at Oklahoma State. And as you mentioned, his dad was a big-time Division One coach. His brother is doing that now. Um, obviously, with ties to the, the St. Louis uh, Cardinals, he was amazing in the community. I think he'd be great with the media. Uh, no managerial experience. However, uh, you hit a couple of real key points. His relationship with Nolan Arenado. That would be big. That would be a selling point when I'm in the interview with Mo. And if I just throw this out there, what what if the organization said, hey, I we really like Trevor's story. What can you tell us about him and can you get him here? Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, that's something I also think with Matt Holiday as well respected as he is in the game and he is really well respected. Uh, his staff would be amazing. I bet you'd have some really big names that understand their role and uh, understand what they're supposed to do. But his staff, I, I guarantee it, would be some pretty big names that would come to St. Louis. So he would be intriguing for me. And he's a great human being. You know, he knows the game. He, he would be very good in this role. I think there's probably a desire on Matt's part at some point to get into whether it be the coaching side or managerial side. Now, he's got young kids, Mm -hmm. and they're really good baseball players, and I bet I'm announcing a holiday before too long in the big (laughs) leagues. It wouldn't shock me. So that's part of it, too. Does he want to stay with his family? And it's got to be a two-way street. For sure. Any other names on the list, especially external candidates that we may have missed? Uh, I, I Just thinking outside the box of guys that have some cardinal ties, one that would come to mind would be Joe McEwing. Uh, Joe McEwing was with the White Sox and has been with the White Sox for a number of years. We saw him um, emerge as a Cardinal and a guy that had ties to the Cardinal way, if you will, back in the day with George Kissel. And everybody knew that he was going to be a coach or a manager at some point. Yet, does he believe when Tony LaRusse is out of there that it's going to Joe McEwing? Mm -hmm. Could be. Um, That would be somebody that maybe I'd want to take a a visit with and and see where where he's at and what what would interest him. Uh, Mark DeRosa would be another one. Now, there's been talk. I've heard his name brought up with other jobs. I don't know what. Now, he played here briefly in 2009 when they acquired DeRosa and Holiday. Is that somebody that maybe you want to hear from? Very bright guy, well-educated. That would be something to think about. There's some other guys out there that do not have cardinal ties, to my knowledge. And uh, maybe you, you think about, well, they've got managerial experience, and do we want to bring them in? I do know this. If I'm in that seat that Moe's in and Gersh is in, I do want to hear from other people. Because I want to interview them. I want to hear what they think about me, too, and our our team. I want to hear what they would do with our team from an outside perspective. You're the manager. You've watched us. What do you think? Maybe it opens up my eyes. So that's guys like Ron Washington, uh, Brad Osmus, John Gibbons is another one. Jeff Bannister, who was with the Pirates for a number of years and then went to Texas as a manager. You know, that's part of this process, too. I want to hear... From an outside perspective, and maybe we don't get there. Maybe they've got their guy and they say, now nah, we're, we're sticking with these guys here internally. But if I'm doing my due diligence, um, typically, not always, and we'll see what direction they go in, it's good to hear what the outside view of us is. What can we do better? What, what are our deficiencies? How would you then correct those deficiencies if you're in that seat? Those are things that I'd want to hear. Even if you have a leader in the clubhouse or some names that you're strongly considering or you have what you think is your guy, I would certainly want to hear other voices. Why not? This is a rare opportunity to be able to interview a bunch of people for a position that is critical for this team. Obviously, a manager is very important, but you've said consistently 2022 is a year to win and the way this team is positioned 
it looks like they have a pretty good shot. So you want to make sure it's the right guy in that seat. So I would interview as many people as I could if I was the Cardinals. Yeah, and it's beyond 22. I, I think the window for them to win is is beyond 22 because their arbitration player guys, are, you know, aren't making massive money in baseball terms. They will, some of them, if they continue going on the track that they're on. But um, so the window there is is within a young nucleus, especially when you look at Tyler O'Neill and you look at Dylan Carlson, you look at Harrison Bader and some of the players that they have coming through the system. Jordan Walker is going to be here before you know it. Nolan Gorman may be here next year. Matthew Libertor is another guy. So the nucleus is is set going forward, which to me, when I think of the nucleus, I think of Arenado, Goldie, Yachty, Wayno. But then what's it look like after that? And there are players that are coming. Um, another guy would be maybe outside the box, Eduardo Perez. And he's a guy that has shown interest in jobs before. I believe he did interview with the New York Mets for their managerial position. He's been a coach at the major league level. He obviously comes from a great Hall of Fame background with his father. So that's somebody else maybe to consider as well. We're going to continue this conversation next with Mike Petriello of MLB.com and the host of the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petriello on the Cardinals managerial position. Who does he think would be a good fit? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's 919 in St. Louis. That time check is brought to you by Clarks and Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Dan McLaughlin and Michelle Smallman here with you. And let's head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line and welcome in Mike Petriello, MLB.com analyst and the host of the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore Petriello. Good morning, Mike. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to join us. Well, first question that we're asking everyone today, what was your reaction to finding out the news yesterday that Mike Schilt was being fired by the St. Louis Cardinals? You know, the funny thing is you can hear my reaction because we were in the middle of doing our podcast yesterday and I saw this come across on Twitter. So right in the middle of a segment, uh, I don't even remember it, the Red Sox or whatever. I just stopped and was, what? kind of screamed a little bit, you know, because who could have seen this coming? It, I guess 17 wins in a row are, are not exactly the right amount of wins to keep your job. I was as stunned as everybody else. Mike, when you evaluate the kind of job that Mike did, the full body of work, um, what are your thoughts? What do you think of Mike Schilt? I don't know how any of us can really evaluate a manager anymore, you know, because what you see from the outside is you look at lineups and you look at pitching changes and, you know, you can make judgments on that, but you never really know what information the manager is working with. And you can say, oh, how come you didn't bring in the lefty there? Well, you know, you don't know how available the lefty is. It might not just be about workload, right? So what's going on in the clubhouse? How can any of us know? I mean, it's, he made some decisions I didn't agree with, especially in the wild card game when he let Wainwright hit in that situation. And then, you know, after two batters in the next inning lifted him and that seemed like it was a lost opportunity. Is that kind of thing enough to cost him his job? That's, that's hard to say. Um, but as far as managers go, I wouldn't say I considered him to be either particularly good or particularly weak, you know, middle of the road for me. Mike Petriello, MLB.com analyst and the host of the Ballpark Dimensions podcast here with us on 101 ESPN. And Mike, John Mozalock did a Zoom yesterday and cited philosophical differences as the reason that the Cardinals were making this decision. What's your interpretation of that? It could be a couple of things. Like, it wouldn't be the first time if someone said, well, I've got one more year in my contract and I think I just did a great job because we 
stormed into the playoffs. We won 17 in a row. And I want a long-term extension. And the team said, no, well, we don't agree with that. And maybe that's how you part ways. But, you know, it sounds a little more shocking than that. And there were some times during the season where I remember in, I don't know, June or maybe when Tommy Edmonds started talking about how he didn't feel like the team was prepared enough. He didn't specifically say it was the manager. I don't think we ever really figured out what that was, but it's possible it goes back to that. And it's also possible that the front office wants to move in a direction that he's just not comfortable with in terms of maybe they want to act more like the Dodgers or the Rays or have a little more control and give the manager a little less control. But, you know, we're all, we're all speculating because to say philosophical differences are somewhat meaningless words. (laughs) You know, they don't, they don't really tell you anything about anything. And I assume at some point Mike Schilt will come out and talk, you know, speak to what happened because we haven't heard anything from him. And until we do, it's hard to know what really happened. Well, you bring up a great point how front offices a lot of times and and not just I'm not talking about St. Louis. I'm talking generally in baseball or are handing a pile and I mean a pile of notes and. You know, the different uh, numbers in various situations. If this comes up, that comes up. Hey, here's a lineup we like. You know, all those kind of things. You're right. I mean, it's not like, you know, 35 years ago and the manager's sitting there going, well, we're going with this because I pulled it out of a hat. Then it ain't happening. So a lot of it comes down to your relationships. And so I wonder if there may have been some friction clearly uh, with that and certain people involved in this. Now, the next part of this, Mike, is where does Mike Schilt go? Is he desirable? And then secondly, um, the Cardinals have talked about at least it looks like an inkling of staying in-house, but are there some guys out there that you think would be a fit for the Cardinals as you look at it from an outsider's perspective? Yeah, the, the chill question is a tough one until we learn more. If it is really just that they had one opinion and he had a different opinion, then yeah, I think that's not a big deal. You know, he he can probably move on from that. If it's something more where they found him difficult to work with, again, I have no idea. I've never met Mike Schilt. It's all speculation. But some some team that may be interested in him in any role is going to need to have some more answers on what exactly happened here because this is not the kind of move that you normally make. As far as other managers out there, you know, there are endless amounts of options. You know. The thing is, they're not the only team that's looking for one. The Mets need a manager. The Padres need a manager. Still not quite clear what's going on with the Yankees, although it sounds like Aaron Boone will be back. But I think the, the Cardinals have had, what, three managers in the last quarter century, give or take, right? Like going back to La Russa. That's right. They, they don't go and turn this position over a lot. And it also seems like the kind of thing where I wouldn't guarantee they're going to promote from within, but it certainly sounds like. They've got some options like stubby clap is high, highly regarded. You know, it's, this does not seem like the kind of situation where they're going to go out and hire someone external with no relationship to the Cardinals. That just does not seem like the style here. Mike Petriello, MLB.com analyst here with us on 101 ESPN. And Mike, the Cardinals finish 90 and 72. They go on that historic winning streak. They make the postseason disappointing loss to the Dodgers to end things. But as you evaluate this Cardinals team, how desirable do you think that this job is for someone? And how do you see the Cardinals position for 2022? Very desirable. I mean, first of all, there's only 30 of these jobs. You know, they're hard to get. Um, but the Cardinals are in a good spot. I obviously hardly need to tell you all about the, the ballpark and the fan base and, you know, how loyal they are. It's, it's just the kind of place where, you know, you're going to go and it's not like an eight year rebuild, right? They are going to try to win and the talent base is there. You know, I don't think Arenado is opting out. You've got Goldschmidt. There's a, there's a lot of things to like about this group, especially because you look at the rest of the division. And as much as I like the Brewers and the pitching staff, uh, their offense scares me. Like, I don't know what to make Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Kane. 
there's not a Dodgers in this division. You know, there's there's not a team that's clearly going to be running over everybody. The window is there to win, you know, immediately, depending on what kind of moves they make. And I just think expectations need to be set properly. Like I saw some discussion that, you know, maybe Schilt got let go because they underperformed expectations in the sense that they made the move for Arenado, they won the offseason, and then they, you know, kind of struggled for five months until that winning streak. And I thought to myself that it was a little unfair. My expectations were that they were a third-place team. That's where I picked them because there were some pretty obvious flaws. Now, some of that's changed going forward. Like, I really did not like that they went into this past season with the three young outfielders and no real good veteran options. Uh, and it didn't work for the first half of the season. And then at second half, they all looked great. I feel a lot more confident with them going forward. Obviously, you need starting pitching. Everybody needs starting pitching. You have to answer some questions about is Yadi Molina the catcher again? Are there other options? But as far as you know, desirability, there are few better places uh, than St. Louis if you're looking for baseball passion here. So you mentioned the Dodgers. I do want to ask you about last night. And again, for people that didn't see it, the Dodgers won just an, a fabulous baseball game to advance to the NLCS against the Atlanta Braves. Cody Bellinger was two for 42 against the Giants in the regular season. He hit 130 in September. And if Max Muncie doesn't get hurt, uh, Cody Bellinger maybe doesn't have the go-ahead hit in the ninth inning. It was just a great game. And as we talk about analytics and we talk about the new uh, new school of maybe having an opener, well, the Dodgers did that. And then the Giants went with a starter that lasted more than one time through a lineup. He pitched great in the game. And then you have the game end with a check swing that did not look like a swing. And it was just anticlimactic. It's just... It just left me with an icky feeling. What, what did you think about how that finished? And what do you think maybe potentially about replay with something like that? I'm not sure what the right answer is, because I agree. That was not a very good call, an absolutely brutal way for a season to end. But I'm just trying to think of the alternatives here. Do you think people want plays like that replayed? Like it's so It's hard to watch when you've got a guy who slides on second base and is off by one fraction of a molecule, and we're doing replay on that. It seems like this is opening up a can of worms. What about, let me let me ask you this. I, I'm in agreement with you. Let me ask you this, though. What about the ending of a game? You say, well, we will take a look at a final check swing if it decides the outcome. What do you think about that? No. No, I mean, either do it or don't. Okay. You know, I don't like making it different for the end of the game. But there's not really a rule in the books about the check swing. That's right. It's all like I'm foreign judge. That's, so whether it's replay, whether it's the computers, whether it's the human, sort of all irrelevant until you figure out, okay, what are you calling this thing? I sort of like the idea of it's not so much umpire judgment, but you basically say, you know, it's not a swing unless it clearly is, right? Like you lean towards one direction. You don't just say, well, let's maybe have the umpire look at it. It's rough to end the season like this. Now, I don't think that this costs them the game necessarily. It's not like they were in a good position at that point, which shows around the mound. It just, you take one of the most exciting and interesting games I've seen all year, and to have it end like that is it's just such a buzzkill because this series gave us everything we hoped it would, right? Clearly the two best teams in baseball. Obviously the long rivalry dating back to New York. And you go to five games and you're tied late in the game and to have it end like that, it's just it's it's really a bad taste for what should have been like a celebration of baseball at that point. MLB.com analyst and host of Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Actually, listen to the podcast to hear Mike's reaction live to the the news that Mike (laughs) Chill was fired. And, of course, follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore Petriello. Great conversation this morning, Mike. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Thank you both. Take care. You got it. Uh, Cody Bellinger, by the way, you think about what he did against the Cardinals. 
key walk, mm-hmm. very key walk uh, against T.J. McFarland, and it was it was a, a situation when the Dodgers came through St. Louis, and this is a guy that's a former MVP. I right. mean, he's a very good player. And I was like, man, you can really pitch to Cody Bellinger here. I wasn't worried. There were other guys in that lineup, and I said, I'm worried about that guy, that guy, that guy, and this guy. Not really Cody Bellinger, but yet you look at what he's done in postseason play. Michelle, this year he has the go-ahead hit in the ninth. Last year, Game 7, home run against Atlanta. I was looking this up. In, in 2018, Game 7, two-run homer against Milwaukee. He has come up big when they needed him most. And against, uh, again, with Max Muncy out, you may not have seen him. But he, he had to play because they were looking to make different changes and guys are going to play at different spots. And he's versatile to play first or the outfield, finished up in center field last night. And then Dave Roberts went with uh, Max Scherzer to get the final three outs. It, it was it was great theater. I just didn't like the way the game ended. Yeah, there was a lot of drama last night. What did you make of Max Scherzer coming in in that spot? Well, uh, that kind was of what, had to do it. Right? Exactly. <laughs> that's that. That's kind of when people were like, I, I was texting with some friends of mine and I exactly said what you just said. I said, well, what else are you going to do? Yeah, I know he's on short it. rest, but you kind of got to do it. It's two days rest. Um, gets his first save. What a time to do it. And man, was he fired up afterwards. He's like the baseball J.R. Smith now. No shirt. Any celebration, the shirt is off. <laughs> he, he took it all off. He was doing the interviews, the celebration. He was fired up. And we should mention, too, Mookie Betts had a great game. He had four hits, stolen base, you know, typical MVP-type candidate. And did not have a great year, but, boy, he, he came up big in, in Game 5 last night. That's Sam McLaughlin. I'm Michelle Smallman. Coming up next, we're going to talk some Blues hockey with our Blues insider at The Athletic. Jeremy Rutherford is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. When you hear Saweetie on these airwaves, it only means one thing, and that's it's time to talk to Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider at The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter, at JP Rutherford. He's joining us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, JR. How you doing? Good morning. Thanks for the intro. You're waking me up here with some good food. <laughs> Got to hype you up before your your interview here. Oh, I love the little honk in there. Speaking of honking, how's Vail going for you? I know you had to drive in yesterday, yesterday I believe, right? How's it been going? Yeah, oh my gosh, Michelle and Dan. Last night, uh, so the Blues have been out here in Vail since uh, Monday practicing, but I had a uh-huh. funeral back, back in St. Louis uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. So I came out last night, and you know, you fly into Denver, and uh, that's a two-hour flight, and then you have the two-hour drive to Vail. So on the two-hour drive to Vail, all of a sudden the snow starts coming down. It looks great. You know, the roads aren't too bad, but then it starts to get a little worse. Then you see signs on the side of the road that say icy roads. So I start to slow down a little bit. Well, now I give headlights in my uh, rear view mirror. So I'm thinking, okay, I, I probably better get over. The person starts flashing their bright lights on the icy road at me to get the heck out of the way. So now I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're going to the point where they're flashing the brights here. So I do get over. The car passes me. About 100 feet later, I almost hit a moose. This moose is on the side of the road, 
luckily on the shoulder. And I felt like I was watching a video game and just driving down the road and had to swerve to avoid this thing. So I don't know that I was supposed to come to Vail after all that last night, but uh, nonetheless, I'm here and ready for practice today. Well, think of all that moose meat you would have had, uh, JR, if you knocked that thing down. <laughs> yeah, JR, why is why Brian Elliott in Vail? <laughs> Who do you think would have won that fight with uh, me and this car and the moose? Uh, uh, you'd have been in trouble. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How big was it, man? Was it a big one? It was it a mature moose? Huge. It was huge. You know, I live in Jefferson County, so I'm used to seeing deer on the side of the road. Uh, but this thing was huge. At first, honestly, as you approach this thing, I don't know if it's a horse, if it's a cow, what it is. But, uh, but yeah, it, w- it was huge. And then so finally, you know, the breathing calms down a little bit. I cozy into this nice little cabin-like uh, hotel here in Vail next to the rink, belly up to the bar with uh, one Jim Thomas. Dan, we sit down and watch the game. I'm thinking we're going to get extra innings. This is great. What a you know, great finish to the night here. And uh, what's up with that? Check swing, call the strike. Oh, relax, will you? Okay, <laughs> just move on. Just start uh, enjoying the baseball season. We've had a, a hell of a morning here at JR. There's been a lot of baseball talk, as you might imagine. Yeah, yeah, no, I've, I've listened. Um, what a crazy situation yesterday, and you guys have uh, touched all the bases today. So um, I guess we'll move forward and, and see what happens. But that one caught me off guard yesterday. Yeah, I think it did for a lot of people. Um, so tomorrow night, uh, just give me your, like, expectations of what you think Blues fans are going to see. We're going we're gonna to have some new faces. We're going to have some new names on the back of the jersey, different-looking lineup to an extent. So what, what are your expectations going into tomorrow night? Yeah, Dan, I think they're excited to play. Uh, You know, they had the eight exhibition games. That's a pretty long preseason. And then you have a situation where you've got to wait another week to play. And a lot of people have asked why. I don't know that there's any specific reason as to why the Blues were off another week. Well, I think it's 28 of the other teams have already played, and and like 10 of them are going to play two games before the Blues uh, play Colorado on Saturday night. So, you know, a lot of high expectations. People are excited for the season to start, the fans, the players, the coaches, everybody. And it is going to be a little bit of a different looking team with Saad and Buchnevich and James Neal and you know the Lions are different heading into the season you know Kairou's got a top six role you're looking for something uh, more from Robert Thomas this year and then on uh, defense you know I think that's an area that a lot of people are going to focus on can the defense be better than it was last year and uh, and Jordan Bennington as well so a lot of spotlight uh, tomorrow on some guys and to me it's just awesome to get the season started. JR, a lot of people picking the Avalanche to win the Central. How do you think the Blues stack up with them? How, how big is the disparity, you think, between the Avalanche and the Blues? Well, I don't think it's as great as it was last year, and I don't think it's going to be uh, that way tomorrow night, and, and I'll get to that in a second. But, you know, they lost uh, a few players. They lost uh, Don Scoy. They lost... Uh, Graves, they lost uh, Brandon Saad to the Blues. I think Brandon Saad's going to be a, a big loss. And he was a good secondary scorer, a good uh, player for Colorado last year, and so they're going to be without him. You know, they they changed the goalie. Grubauer goes to Seattle. And then you have uh, a new goaltender. So, you know, I think that's going to be a situation where the Blues might be closer to, uh, you know, to, to competing against Colorado in the division. And I think also you look at tomorrow night, Michelle, and that's what I say that they could be closer to them tomorrow is because uh, you got a Landis guy, Gabriel Landis guy, who suspended two games. So he's going to miss tomorrow. And oh, while yeah, I, I forgot about that. Yeah. And while I wasn't swerving around Moose, I don't think anything's happened <laughs> with uh, Nathan McKinnon. Uh, 
but uh, he was in the COVID protocol, so unless something changed with that, uh, he could be out tomorrow night as well. All right, Jr. You're you're looking at the Blues. What's their biggest strength, and what's their biggest weakness or question mark going into the season? Yeah, the biggest strength, Dan, is definitely the depth at forward. Uh, I think there were some surprise. Uh, cuts in camp in terms of a couple guys making the team, Kyle Clifford, Clem Costin, you know, they send Dakota Joshua down. Craig Bruby said that was a very tough decision. So to me, uh, when I look at these forwards, you know, there's six or seven of them that can score 20 goals. And I'm not saying just 20, 21 goals. I'm saying a number of them can be 25, 26, 28. So I think if that materializes, that would be really interesting uh, from a depth perspective. You know, Doug Armstrong has approached this team, not paying guys 10, 11, 12 million dollars, but you know, giving guys six, seven million dollars, and I, I think that it looks like a pretty good group. I think the biggest concern is the defense, and you're hoping for a healthy Colton Pareko. It looks like you got that. You know, you hope that Tory Krug can bounce back from last year. You hope that you know Justin Falk can be the type of player he was. But after that, there just isn't a lot of depth. You have Jake Wallman. You have Nico Mikola, you have Robert Bortuzzo and Scott Perinovich in the minor leagues, but that's a lot of inexperience. So if you have injuries or you have guys that I just touched on that aren't playing well, there just isn't a ton of depth. So uh, to me, that's probably the big concern. Jerry, we've obviously spent a lot of time this morning talking about the Cardinals announcing yesterday that they relieved Mike Schilt of his duties. I know you touched on this in a piece at The Athletic, and everyone needs to to subscribe to The Athletic and read your great work, but Craig Berube had signed a three-year deal after the Blues won the up in 2019 and obviously those three years have flown by pretty quickly but how do you see Craig Berube's lame duck year playing out? Yeah, and I did write about this, and, and what I said, Michelle, in the article is that uh, I just don't think that the Blues are in a hurry on this. You know, obviously, if Craig Ruby wins two cups or they go a couple rounds the past couple years, probably that deal's done already, but there hasn't been that kind of success. I know the Blues are an organization that, you know, once you get in that final year, you know, there's no reason to extend it, let the year play out. Now, that's changed, I think, with uh, their, their view of Doug Armstrong just because he's had so much success. So he did have one more year. They did extend him five more years, so they kind of made an exception in that area. But I think with Craig Bruby, hey, look, we're giving you some new players. we got a different look. We think we've got a good team. Let's see how you handle it. But the word, the sentence that I used in the story is, and and I go back years with Davis Payne and Andy Murray. I think Doug Armstrong, with some of those coaches, he was looking for some slippage. And, hey, if it happened, we're probably going to have to move on. I don't think he's looking for that with Craig Ruby. I think he's got confidence in him. I think he's got, uh, you know, a a, a look at the season, like uh, things are going to go well. And, you know, halfway through, midway through, if things are going great, then they'll probably extend it. Maybe they'll wait to the end of the season. If they're not, then they'll have to reach that decision at that point. Uh, but I don't think that Doug Armstrong's looking for a reason to fire Craig Berube or move on from him. In terms of Tarasenko, would you expect him to still be a blue by the trade deadline? So if he shows that he's healthy and is productive, does he become a guy where the blues say, no, we don't want to get rid of this guy? And we've kind of mended the issues that we've had with him. Or do you think there's a situation where he has to prove he's healthy and then they'll find a place for him. It's so multifaceted and you spelled it out great. Uh, but yeah, what if, what if he's playing great? And so the trade demand in terms of uh, what the blues could get for him, 
you know, grows and it's higher. And maybe Doug Armstrong does find what he wants, but you don't want to lose the guy if he's playing well and clicking with your lineup. You know, if, if Robert Thomas is dishing him the puck and he's piling up the assists and you trade Tarasenko, does that hurt Robert Thomas? Therefore, it affects you. You know, I could see a situation where if he's playing well and, and Doug Armstrong gets what he wants, he's traded before the trade deadline. But, Dan, I guess there's also a possibility now that it's made it this far that maybe they keep them for the year and then just try to move them in the offseason without disrupting the team midseason. So there's a million different ways this thing could go, uh, but that might be the most intriguing. If he's really playing well and he still wants to be traded, do they, in fact, uh, entertain that idea? Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider at The Athletic. Be sure to follow him on Twitter, at JP Rutherford. And JR, thanks for taking the time to chat with us this morning. Enjoy the rest of your time in Colorado and eyes peeled for moose, okay? Yeah, at least the sun will be out on the drive back to Denver today. So it should be good. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jar. You know, Dan, um, I love doing the show with you. I love doing the show with Randy. One of the reasons I love it is you never know what you're going to talk about. I did not think this morning that we would talk about a mature moose. (laughs) I I didn't think we were going to talk about Mike Shield getting let go. I didn't think we were going to talk about that either. That's Dan McLaughlin. I'm Michelle Smallman, and we're going to get you set for the Danny Mac Show with BK. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Attention golfers, there's still room for foursomes and individual players for the Amplify Athletes Golf Classic. It's this Monday at the Innsbruck Golf Course. Randy's going to be on site on Monday from 11 to 1, and he's golfing in the tournament. It's going to be an awesome day on the links, all in support of Amplify Athletes and Mission Stadiums for multiple sclerosis. You can get more details and find the link to register right now at 101ESPN. Com. Dan McLaughlin and Michelle Smallman here with you on 101 ESPN. And, Dan, we've been trying to decipher the best we can um, what happened yesterday with Mike Schilt being let go as the Cardinals manager. We talked about a list of potential candidates to replace him. And one name that we did not bring up during that segment, but that certainly should be in the conversation, is Carlos Beltran. Well, the way I look at it, and that was the one I had him written down. I don't know why I didn't mention that. Um, if you can look at A.J. Hinch getting back in the game and managing with Detroit mm-hmm. and doing his thing, and Alex Cora is now in the ALCS with Boston, and he's obviously been tied into what took place uh, with the cheating scandal. Um, Carlos Beltran, you know, to me, is more than served his time when the other two have done what they've done. He lost his job with the Mets, mm-hmm. so never even got to manage the Mets, and uh, and and certainly has a great baseball mind. He'd be great with all the players from all different parts of the world because he gets along with everybody. He's a wonderful guy, and in his two years in St. Louis, got to know him a little bit um, behind the scenes. He was awesome, a great communicator. Um, so I, I I would have to think that maybe you would get. Uh, an interview with him. I, I again, though, I, I don't know what his appetite is to come out and have to answer the questions again and go through this again. And he may say, you know what, I've made mm-hmm. two hundred fifty million dollars. I'm good. You know, I don't need this. And he might do that. But he also might say, I have a desire to give back to the game. I have a desire to help out young players. I want to manage. This is a life goal. And, you know, and and at some point he's going to have to start interviewing with teams. And maybe it starts with the Cardinals. We'll see. Especially, as you mentioned, with Alex Cora and A.J. Hinch doing what they've done in their return to baseball. Maybe that that has... uh 
made his appetite grow a little bit more. And he's someone you would think. And and he's someone that the Cardinals, obviously, and John Mosellock are familiar with. And I don't know. I just think there's some ties there. So Carlos Beltran, another name that we're adding to the list. Well, Well, also, the further you get away from it. You know, I mean, it's now I do think coming up in the ALCS, you're going to hear more and more about it because it's two guy or, you know, a team that was involved with it. And then Alex Cora getting his second chance, so to speak, with the Red Sox. And, you know, there's going to be things that are mentioned about it. No question. It's kind of like with the Rams lawsuit and you've got the NFL having a Super Bowl at at SoFi Stadium. You don't think that's going to be talked about when they go out there? I mean, it it just gets brought up again. Um, And I know I'm going in a different direction, but the same premise is that I do think it'd be brought up. But I, I, I do believe that the further that you get away from it, and in baseball circles, I never heard a bad thing about Carlos Beltran from his teammates, from when he was on the opposition, lighting up the Cardinals. They, I mean, everybody would just say, guy's a wonderful guy, and he's a flat-out great player. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, with A.J. Hinch having his success, and it's going to be a lot coming up, I do believe that with Detroit. But he got right back in the game. I mean, that was the manager of the team that this thing happened with, right. and he got back in. And Alex Cora was there, and he got back in with the original team that he started managing with, with the Red Sox. So I do think that, that you know, he served his time and then some, and at some point it probably happens. Now, we were talking about the leading candidates. My leading candidates are already in-house. Mm-hmm. It's Stubby Clapp. It's Carlos Mar- uh, Ali Marmol. Um, so we'll see. But there's a lot of guys out there. We'll see what happens. Well, what do you have coming up on the Danny Mac Show with BK? I can't oh. imagine what you guys would talk about. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what happened yesterday with the Cardinals, clearly with the announcing of Mike Schilt being letting uh, let go. Kevin Goldstein is going to uh, join us as well. I uh, hear a lot from the press conference, if you missed it yesterday, with Mo and, and Mr. DeWitt. So all that coming up on the show. Well, we will be tuned in. Thank you so much. Dan. Sounds good. Thanks. And thank you, Emily Butcher. Great work today and this week. Thanks you as well. And I'm Michelle Smallman. Randy will be back on Monday. We'll be back Carriker and Smallman from 7 to 10 on Monday. But the Danny Mac Show with BK is next, so keep it here on 101 ESPN. That was the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Love Target? Well, you're about to love it even more. Target's new Red Card Reloadable saves you 5% every Target trip, in-store and online, and doesn't require a bank account or credit check to get approved. Target.com slash Red Card to get all the details. Restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. 
To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.